Hey guys, welcome to Deathmatch News Radio. This is episode number 13. We're recording this on December 6, 2018. Uh, as always, I am joined by my co-host, Mike. Before we get any further, Mike, uh, if you want to let people know, where can people find you online? You can always find me at my main page of the Deathmatch Cult. Um, I have uh, other cult family pages, uh, Strong Style Cult, which in January is going to become the Combat Cult, where we've recently had MMA and boxing and wrestling and the process of starting a podcast for that, we've expanded that page. I've always got my old school wrestling cult. I do a Zona 23 uh, fan page. Um, I do a wave page with my friend Katia that focuses on uh, women's wrestling. Uh, the Deathmatch Cult Awards, which I just finally completed after a crazy process. Um, I have them already, and we're going to be doing that on the uh, 6th or 15th, December, Saturday after next, live at 8 p.m. Um, I got some guest people that are going to be cutting some promos and talking, coming on the show, and we're going to announce their Hall of Death. And, you know, I've done uh, biographies for all 15 people, and then I've got all the 27 awards calculated because Deathmatch Wrestling has really expanded this year. So that's, uh, that's where you can catch me. You can find me online. I'm on Twitter at intl, intl wrestling. Um, I've got the uh, the deathmatch newsletter. You can find that at uh, indiewrestlingintl.wordpress.com. I really wish I wouldn't have chosen that website name, but now I'm stuck with it. Um, and then um, a couple other things, really quickly. So um, I'm putting together a little bit of a tour package of sorts that's going to be for this August. Now, I go to Japan two or three times a year, and I, 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 I go to all kinds of little little fan events and little shows. I'm not so into, like, I've been to the Tokyo Dome twice, and I don't think I'll ever go back. I'm really into those really tiny, um, you know, intimate wrestling shows, fan e fan events, drinking parties, blah, blah, blah. So I actually made a video that you can find. I posted on most of the Deathmatch um, uh, groups that you can find where I put together a little seven-minute highlight reel of my trip last year. Um, so this August, I'm going to be going to to Japan. The main event is going to be the August 28th uh, Tokyo Deathmatch Carnival uh, by Freedoms. And I've got a lot of surprises in store. I really think I'm organizing something that's definitely going to be worth coming. So, um, uh, coming for. So, if if that interests you, maybe start saving money. I think I'll be making the announcements for a lot of the events come March. Um, but this is definitely something that I think people are going to really want to get into. So, if you want a preview of it, you can go and check out my little video that I made. Um, I want to remind people that this uh, show is supported by the listeners. Um, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash deathmatch news uh we uh i want to shout out to a couple of our patrons we have christian jl the jobber who he's been supporting us for a long long time <clears throat> excuse me luther reigns max power and thomas clemens uh, we have various tiers uh they go from you know two to three dollars where we post various interview exclusives from the archives as well as new stuff and for five dollars a month you can recommend for us to review a show Last month, we did the Freedoms 2010 Pain uh, Pain Limit Deathmatch Tournament. So if you ever have, hey, I, I, you know, if you ever have a show where you think, hey, I'd really like to hear them in, you know, talk about this show from the archives or maybe something that's a little off the beaten path, that's a great way to support us as well as getting something back. Um, a couple other plugs that we're going to go into. Uh, as always, the THT Network with uh, Shaheen and uh, Boxman, they are really great friends of the show they uh, cover a lot of stuff. They, they, they usually provide live coverage of Game Changer, 
Game Changer Wrestling, Combat Zone Wrestling, and a couple of the other Jersey, New York-based shows, um, as well as they cover, you know, Ring of Honor, WWE, a lot of the more mainstream stuff. Uh, if you ever want some custom artwork done for T-shirts, for posters, anything, you can head over to Nuclear Heat Graphics, where they create some really awesome designs, and you can Google them and find them pretty easy. Um, also, Mike, so we have our little podcast net uh, podcast network, The Wrestling Cult, and we're trying to expand that and grow it. Last week, we talked about um, the Kawasaki Dreaming Show that you're going to be doing every few weeks with Bahu. What other new shows do we have coming up? Um, I'm working on a show right now with uh, the Rejects, John Wayne Murdoch and uh, Reed Bentley. Uh, that'll be, we'll be taping in January. Uh, basically, they'll be hosting the podcast, and I guess you could say I'll kind of be producing and then introducing them. Uh, uh, we've also got uh, Bucky's Road Stories, uh, which is going to be a fun podcast, because Bucky, Bucky Hens is a member of the Deathmatch Cult page and a super wrestling fan. He travels all over the country, and he's going to be previewing these different shows. Um, I know he's going to all nine Mania shows for the collective, so that's going to be crazy when we recap that. Uh, we talked about the first wrestling show in minnesota uh you might want to check them out uh, they do a first palooza show um every year uh, i believe uh, great sasuke is going to be at both of them this year um they do it they have uh it's in this really cool bar they have live music they have a burlesque show um if there's any burlesque fans out there i know i googled about that for about 10 minutes on the podcast but i won't at this time um it's a really cool promotion. Uh, Eric Cannon runs it. Everybody probably remembers Eric Cannon from IWA Mid-South, uh, Dragon Gate USA, Evolve, uh, CZW. He's been all over. Uh, so that's something you might really want to check out. Um, and then we also, uh, coming up in January, uh, one of my pages of Strong Style Cult is rebranding to the Combat Cult. Uh, we're covering MMA and boxing now, which a lot of people are fans of. I, I myself, I've got two martial artists uh, that actually helped me uh, they both train martial artists, and they teach people. Uh, Jamie Gerardo and Ben Hollis, uh, who also are members of the Deathmatch Cult admin team, uh, we're going to be teaming up and doing like a probably once a month, maybe twice. Uh, they're they're busy guys, and it's hard when people are on different continents. But probably at least once a month, and we'll cover like news on boxing and MMA and strong style wrestling and and all that stuff, which is uh, cool. I have a couple other quick shout outs too. Um, one uh, I want to say, uh, folks, uh, go to the Deathmatch Cult page. Um, one of our uh, admins, a dear friend, uh, Andy Lawler, is going through a very hard time right now. Um, his wife uh, is ill in, in the hospital. He's been there, you know, championing it. And we've been sending prayers and everything. Uh, uh, the great people, uh, huge wrestling fan. Andy runs the uh, PWW page, which has got about 27,000 people on it. Um, he's an excellent guy. His wife's a nice person. Um, the, the GoFundMe that someone recently started, I put a link up for it on Deathmatch Cult page. Um you know, it's holiday time, uh, you know, it's nice to help people if we can. And Andy's a really good guy. And if you could spare a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, uh, you know, help him out. He, he's been in the hospital for about ten days, um, you know, praying and, and by his wife's side and, uh, you know, dedicated husband and, and family man. A really good guy. I can't say enough about him. So if you can, you know, share, if you can do give anything to help him out, please go on there. Uh it's on his page, Andy Lawler. Uh, I'm sure it's on PWW page, but go right to the Deathmatch Cult page. I'm going to put it up on Twitter later, and I'm going to put it up on all my other pages. I'll help out Andy. And I just have one other real quick shout-out. but Another shout-out. It's not really Deathmatch-related, but I am a huge uh, Dynamite Kid fan, uh, Tom uh, Billington. He's probably my favorite wrestler, and uh, he passed away uh, today 
or yesterday morning uh, in England. Uh, I can't even say I, I fell in love with him uh, when I first saw him in Tiger Mask. I don't believe there would have been a hybrid ECW junior style, New Japan Junior Cup, all that stuff. Justin Liger, Chris Benmont, all these guys, if there wasn't Tiger Mask and uh, Dynamite Kid. Not only was he, he was just an amazing wrestler. You can watch the eight matches they had which I have. I watched them all again today because I'm a diehard. Um, and, and they're, you know, going on 40 years ago, these matches were, and they will stand up with anything today. They're technical, suplexes, hard-hitting. They're fast-paced. Um, it was just amazing to see that at that time. And then, obviously, went on to success in WWE, WWF as the World Tag Champions with the British Bulldogs with Davey Boy Smith. He had a great run in all Japan with uh, Davey and then later with Johnny Smith. Um, just, just an amazing wrestler, one, one of my true favorites. I just want to say, you know, rest in peace, Dynamite Kid. Uh, you know, prayers and thoughts to his family and the other fans of his. Uh, you know, it really hit me because I'm such a diehard. And it's so hard for me to say, like, you can ask me my favorite match and I'll probably give you 50. But you can, my favorite wrestler is Dynamite Kid. Um, I, there, after that, it's kind of gray. I could probably go all over. But I've just been a Dynamite Kid fan since the early 80s uh, when I was able to get some of the New Japan tapes. Um, just fell in love with him and Tiger Mask. Uh, I think they just revolutionized the sport of professional wrestling and uh, changed it. I think, uh, you know, he doesn't get the credit he should. I know there's some things about the man's character and things. Well, we all have our hard times in life. And if we all posted everything that we did, you know, imagine what a world it would be. But just based on wrestling, he should be in every Hall of Fame that there is. And I think it's a shame that he's not. That's all I have to say. So on that note, going into a little bit of news, you know, one guy, when you think of Dynamite Kid, Dynamite Kid, um, um, you know, the legacy that he left was he was one of the first guys to just go balls out. No worry about bumps, no worry about your health and all that type of stuff. And it made me immediately think of a guy in the news right now, PCO. So uh, PCO, uh, he has signed to Ring of Honor <clears throat> on, uh, excuse me, I'm sick, guys. The pollution where I live is really bad and I've gotten sick this week. But anyway, so PCO, he signed an exclusive contract with Ring of Honor um, on Facebook, he's, or I'm sorry, on Twitter, he's called it, you know, the, his, um, his biggest contract ever, which I saw a couple of people say, hey, he was in the WWF back in the 90s, but people don't think about back in the early 90s, the, w, the WWF contracts were notoriously uh, pretty bad. You know, you were only getting paid per night, and uh, so um, I can imagine that this might be the biggest contract he's ever signed. Um, you know, PCO, he had his resurgence at last year's spring break and um i you know when i think of hardcore wrestling i think of pco i think of guys who are just going 100 miles per hour i mean is there any guy out there at the size that he is doing the stuff that he is taking moons you know doing moonsaults to the the outside and sentons to the apron and just big crazy power moves and stuff so um you know uh when uh when dynamite kid passed away i, I immediately thought you know, if we wouldn't have, you know, there's that thing, if we wouldn't have, uh, if we wouldn't have had the Dynamite Kid, we wouldn't have Benoit and these guys, and I would put PCO right up, you know, right up there. Um, I love PCO. He's one of my favorite wrestlers at the the moment. I'm a little sad he, he's going to leave the indies. He is pulling off a lot of indie dates, but it looks like he's still going to wrestle the December 29th uh, Game Changer show against Masato Tanaka. Um, I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts about it. Um, definitely. Uh, 
PCO, uh, I think I think it's it's good in a way for PCO. Obviously, it's going to hurt a lot of indies. But uh, I'm an ROH fan, and it's really been stale lately. And uh, you know, them signing PCO, signing Brody. King looks like they signed Zach Saber, Tracy Williams, Jeff Cobb. I think it brings a whole new revolution to it. Like you said, um, I think he really started to, to revolutionize his career in the 2000s when he was in IWS. He had to run as their champion, and he really started to get that going. And then obviously, you know, he took some time off. We didn't hear from him for four or five years. Then he just came back and took the world by storm. I mean, ROH is already running a promo with a heartbeat. And the fans are going like crazy. You can see in the one TV show because they know they know where it is, and they know PCO's coming. And you know, here's a guy I think who could realistically be the Ring of Honor champion at some point. Uh, Jerry Lynn had a, a run there very late in his career, and I just think it's it's cool. Um, I'm glad he didn't go to WWE. Um, their product is stale. I mean, he would have been good in NXT, but I think Ring of Honor he could really be showcased, and he can be one of the you know the main event players there. And uh, I know a lot of indie fans are mad, but Hey, you know, it's it's a payday for the man. You know, God bless him. He, he's trying to make money, you know, feed his family, put on his table. Um, he kills himself. He goes out and works hard. He's worked so hard in the last year. I think he deserves some sort of refund. Or not refund, reward. Yeah, definitely. And um, it it opens up the idea, you know, I you know, he's definitely going to be on that uh, the Madison Square uh, um, Garden Show. Who knows who? I mean, it's it just, the you know, the possibilities are... are are really big for him, and I wish him the best of luck. And uh, it looks like they're still going to be doing the Monday PCO show, the little YouTube uh, reels that him and Destro make, so that's great news as well because those are the highlights of my Monday. Um, so, uh, yeah, good luck to PCO. And uh, as I said in my newsletter, you know, Godspeed, Frankenstein. So going, so sticking with the, the Game Changer Wrestling stuff, uh, Bucky Hines, he's going to be going to the series of shows that, that Game Changer Wrestling is doing with, like, all, you know, they're doing it with, like, I don't know how many companies, but it, it's quite a few. Uh, they nine just shows. announced nine shows. Um, yep. So uh, over uh, the WrestleMania weekend, you know, they're going to be hosting their own WrestleCast of shorts, or well, I'm sorry, what do they call it? A WrestleCon. They, like, they're going to be hosting their right. own thing. Where they're going to be selling video packages, ticket packages, and all of that stuff. Uh, two names they just announced for him is going to be Shinjiro Otani, and then Timothy Thatcher is going to be wrestling on the Bloodsport. Um, I know, I've known this for quite a while. He said it, it, you know, he's he's been been saying this for 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 years and years. But uh, Nick Gage considers Otani one of one of his like favorite guys, and I can just imagine, you know, Otani versus Gage uh, at Spring Break is going to that's going to be quite a match if they do announce that, which is what I, I would imagine, given that Nick Gage has always kind of uh, said this type of stuff online. Um, and then Battle Timothy Thatcher. Scrapes. Go on. Sorry, I said Battle of the Boot Scrapes. Battle of the Boot Scrapes, absolutely. Um, Timothy Thatcher, I don't know too much about this guy, to be completely honest. I know he's kind of like a strong-style European guy, right? Yeah, he was in NXT for, NXT for a while. Then he had a long run in Evolve as their champion. Uh, Sabre Jr. beat him. He teamed up with Walter for quite a while as, as Munkoff. Uh, they've been going all over the world. He actually took on Nick Gage last year at Bloodsport. He was in the Bloodsport last year against Nick Gage. So, yeah, he's a, I would say, a strong-style uh, European technical kind of guy. He had some really good matches in Evolve uh, with Hero, with Zack Sabre Jr. Um, you know, he's had some good matches in WXW and, and uh 
progress. So he's a really talented guy. Uh, his match last year with Gage was good in Bloodsport. It was a really cool match. So he's a he's a good talent. He's another one I'm surprised that hasn't been signed up by Ring of Honor Impact or WWE because he's, he's just a, got a good size and good look to him, and he's a very talented wrestler. He's wrestled the best wrestlers in the world, really. He's had an amazing run in, in uh, Evolve. He was your champion for quite a long period of time and went through a lot of people before Sabre beat him. And um, there's a lot of uh, and 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 don't worry, there is like, you know, based on a couple little things that I, I've heard, I think there's gonna be a lot more announcements that are gonna kind of shock people about uh, uh, the WrestleMania weekend. You know, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We have five more months of Game Changer Wrestling announcing guys for these shows. Um, one guy that they announced for a, a show coming up. So on January, is it 12th, the Chicago show? Yes. On January 12th, uh, GCW, they're going to run Chicago, uh, which whenever they go, they come to Chicago, they always bring the light tubes and, and the glass and the blood. Um, they're going to be bringing in Daisuke Masauko. Uh, you know, he was a former King of Freedom champion. He was in the, um, the Nick, the NGI two back in 2017, so um, I'm really excited for him to come in for that one. Absolutely. Uh, you know, he's a guy who, who wrestled on early in Japanese indies. He did some BJW early stuff. He's definitely become a, kind of a talent over there in one of, their, one of their faces. He's had a good run with Violento Jack as a tag team champions, and he had a ridiculous match with Marcus Crane in uh, GCW at last uh, two years ago at NGI. Just absolutely ridiculous. So that's a great talent to bring in. And there's so many cool matches they could match him up with. Um, one thing that's got to be said is that Game Changer Wrestling is opening up a lot of doors. You know, like nobody, who who is bringing in Japanese talent at the level that they are? No one, really. And, you know, and I've always uh, been a big fan of Game Changer. I mean, I know we've discussed in, in the past some things that, we didn't look like as much, but we've always liked them, uh, contrary to popular belief. Uh, we've always been fans of GCW. Uh, sometimes people may not think that, but to each their own opinion. But, uh, yeah, I, I just think they're open up. You know, PCO, they really, you know, put them on the map. They put PCO on the map. Uh, the Dick David Arquette thing. Uh, they bring, you know, Sasuke has come over twice. Uh, they brought over Jinshi Shinzaki. Uh, you know, they've just done so many different things. Uh, you know, Gage is a touring champion. Uh, the Deathmatch game still, but at the same time, incorporating these other, like, mega shows with these different talents that you wouldn't see at your normal big-time shows and making it work. Um, so um, I would, uh, man, just uh, there's going to be a lot going on for Game Changer Wrestling next year, and uh, they're opening up doors all over the place. Um, I'm excited for this, uh, the Chicago show. Now, um, the G code still isn't out, so I still haven't seen the the G code or anything. Yeah. But um, yeah, which I, I, I think know. is actually okay because I was actually like I was thinking about this, and I was like, the thing about Game Changer Wrestling was like every show was this monumental, amazing, crazy, bringing in foreign talent, announcing big stuff, just crazy shit, right? And right. um. Eventually, you will kind of burn people out a little bit when every show is this big, amazing, crazy thing. Eventually, it is just kind of going to burn out the idea of it, right? So, um, I, you know, I have no problem with the G-Code being just the local talent, having a great show. The video comes out about, you know, a week or two later because you need to pace yourself. And Game Changer Wrestling, you know, I'm okay with this at the moment. Yeah, so. 
I want to see the show, but definitely it's a different kind of show than the one they ran before that. It's definitely, it definitely kind of looks like the next couple shows are probably going to be different than your big Janela kind of shows, too. Yeah, I mean, the Chicago show, um, I would imagine it's going to be a deathmatch card. For sure. Yeah, they're running. They're running at the same uh, building that the Resistance ran the women's deathmatch tournament, a show they just ran the other night, and they use light tubes and barbed wire in that show. So there definitely will be no, uh, you know, issues with doing that kind of violence because it's been done in that building a few different times. I've seen people online kind of come, eh, you know, complain because they had that game changer world for a while, and that was like the craziest building where they could, you know, they. They could have done some type of oh need a explosion match in that building probably. I mean that building was insane and people were like hey when is you know when is Jersey gonna get some crazy deathmatch show because they've been doing uh, razor boards and barbed wire this but they they you know but the building they're running in they they can't do glass plain and simple but finding a building is not easy you know and I kind of brought up um, you know I'm not in the area but I brought up doing it at uh, the H two O place. And someone was like, you know, that place just doesn't hold the people, you know, like we can't really run there. It just doesn't hold the people that we want to pack into a building and it doesn't have the right aesthetics, you know. So um, they're working. I know, you know, they've got that show in, in Jersey that's got a star by it on uh, in February. So I would hope that Game Changer Wrestling, they're going to find a building that's going to let them go all out and do what they really want to do by February. I would hope so. Definitely, so. definitely. That would be so, cool because those, really the string of Game Changer shows were legendary in that building that year. You know, The Art of War, The Road to Survival, Hit em Up, Ready to Die, uh, Worst Behavior. I mean, they were just legendary shows. I would need to go through and look, but I would think, um, man, I think that TOS 2 was probably the best one for me. I mean, that, that TOS 2 was such a insane tournament but like you said every show in that building was just you know people joked that you couldn't even breathe by the end of the show because there was so much dust in the air right the TOS 2 was amazing I think I would go with NGI 2 uh, only because I think the sequel play Nick Gage match was just unreal and they did uh, the crazy paving stone in the main event with Tremont and uh, Gage but either show I mean you can't go wrong for a while there Every show was like, oh, my God, that's the best show I've seen. And then they top it the next month. So it's really cool. I mean, Ready to Die was a great show. Uh, Hit Him Up was a great show. So it's definitely, uh, you know, it's hard to uh, pick. Their first show was really cool. The first Nick Cage invitation that wasn't in. A lot of people forget about that, but that show was really cool. Um, you know, the first TOS was cool. That fucking ridiculous, uh, crazy thing off the roof that put them on ESPN. And uh, now, you know, um, um, Austin always talks about that bump. When, right. Whenever he has anybody involved with that company, he's got to bring up, hey, what what were you doing when Zandig fell off that 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 roof? You know, Austin even loves that bump. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. For the end of the year, you know, I'm going to be in Japan, so I'm trying to write up a newsletter now so I don't have to worry about it when I'm there. But I, I'm writing up like a year a year in review of like the biggest news stories, <clears throat> and one of the ones that I'm going to be writing up soon is going to be uh, GCCW making chicken salad out of chicken shit or making lemonade out of lemons. You know, when they lost the Game Changer World in January, it's crazy to think 
It's been one year. It 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 hasn't even been a full year since they lost the game changer uh, building. You know, they lost it in January. They moved into the compound. Then they started running shows in sh- sh- Chicago. They had the spring break show that was just huge. They've moved to you know they've done the New York show. They had the TOS in that ballroom. They had I mean they've you know it, like. This is a company that they lost their the 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 farm for the TOS three, and within twelve hours they moved it into a ballroom and they were exploding five thousand light bulbs that night. You know, like this is a company that nothing stops them. You know, another amazing show. I mean, sequel play Cologne was ridiculous. The main event was ridiculous. I really enjoyed uh, Nick Gage and uh, Yuki. Uh, it's just, you know, it's so hard to pick your favorite with Game Changer, like, especially Deathmatch-wise. There's just so many ridiculous things. I mean, I, I really enjoyed John Wayne Murdoch and Gage from Green yeah. Man's Red. Uh, I also enjoyed Joey Janelle and Sequel Play. Uh, their matches, I thought, were, were nuts. Uh, you know, Sequel Play and Medeo, two different shows. Uh, the TOS three finals, and then the one where uh, Sequel Play gave him that uh, flaming knee to the face. There's just so many of uh, Eric Ryan and sequel play. Uh, a match is still one of my absolute favorites. Um, I, I love that match um, from the first Worst Behavior show. I mean, that was just, uh, it was amazing. It was, like I said, one of my favorite matches of the year. And then you have your crazy spots, too, like the non-death match stuff, like Darby Allen jumping off the fucking balcony on Nick Cage, or Darby Allen and Joey Janela, where Darby does the uh, ridiculous uh, moonsault with hands cuffed. Teddy Hart and Janela with that fucking sick... Canadian pile driver off the top of that fucking ladder into the ring. Uh, you know, there's just so many, so many spots. It's hard, you know, you know, let alone uh, the spring break shows that are a whole different kind of animal themselves. Uh, you know, like we just talked about. You know, then there was that great Wisconsin show they had where Nick Gage murdered dysfunction. Uh, Claxton and Havoc had a, a, a classic with the razor board bumps. Slack and Raver had a ridiculous match. Crane and Clone. There's just so many. There's so many GCW matches. You know, they brought in Supreme. They brought in Homeless Jimmy. You know, they brought in all these different guys throughout. The- they brought in Sage Sin. They brought in Sexy Eddie. You know, they brought in Bryant Woods. They brought in a lot of different people early on and throughout. Where they, you know, they brought in Sequel Play and Medeo. Made stars of them. You know, look at the following they have in the United States now. That's I should probably they- correct you, by the way, because someone made a comment. It's it's Miedo. Miedo, excuse me. That's okay. <laughs> Miedo. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, I was closer than Guantanamo. Well, I was off on that one, too, saying Guantos. It's gua- Guanatos. <laughs> I get people uh, giving me these corrections here and there. Um, speaking of which, hey, where is Darby Allen? I haven't heard that name in forever. Uh, he's doing a lot of indie stuff. Um, he, he still does some stuff with Evolve. Um, you know, he's done some stuff with progress. He does a lot of indie shows. He just had a ridiculous match with Pentagon at uh, a new show uh, in New York. The one show, uh, the one that had Kenny Omega and Phoenix as the main event. Uh, really, him and Pentagon was one of my favorite matches I've seen as of recent. Uh, so Darby's still around. He's a guy that, you know, I, I was talking with Bucky in, in the podcast, you know, Bucky had mentioned about size, but I mean, I'm just surprised that he's not signed because he's got that wild look. He still does stuff for MLW, um, and things like that, but he's just a crazy talented guy and he does just, just ridiculous shit. 
Uh, he's kind of fearless in the ring. But yeah, if anybody hasn't, you know, checks out that Pentagon match, I know it's on high spots. Uh, you know, he's had he's he's been doing a lot of stuff in AAW in Chicago recently too. He's been in this long feud with Jimmy Jacobs. Uh, he still wrestles for Black Label Pro. You know, he does the Evolve stuff. He was out in California for PCW recently doing a, he had a match with Shane Strickland. So he's all around. He does a lot of these other indies. You know, he does a pro wrestling gorilla from time to time too. All right, cool. I was just curious. So, um, I gave a long answer. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. Um, real quick, just because we don't have that much Japanese stuff to go over. I want to say one thing really quickly. So I was, um, uh, well, we can talk about David Arquette first, I suppose. It's as part of uh, the GCW stuff. But, um, okay, so David Arquette, it, it turns out Shaheen Shagan on the THT podcast, he was having a, uh, he was having, uh, 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 you know, he was talking to Danny DeMonto, uh, co owner, I believe he's co owner. I, I don't know these guys' official yes. titles. Okay, cool. So, yeah, the co owner of uh, GC. W and they said that David Arquette worked uh, the L.A. Confidential show for free. He just wanted to come in. He wanted to do the show. He wanted to get footage for a documentary he's making about um, you know his little year in wrestling and stuff. And he worked the show for free. And um, I saw people. This is just me, kind of. You know, I'm a, I'm I'm really into positivity and self help stuff and all this stuff. So this really hit me. But um, I see people online saying. First, before it came out that he worked for, for for free, people were saying, oh, geez, he got paid $300, $500 to kill, you know, to take the these uh, glass bumps and to, to bleed out and blah, blah, for what? And people just kind of dogging on him and putting a price tag on, on, on him and stuff. And I just want to say really quickly, you know, in my life, um, I've been in various um, situations where I was really close with some some very wealthy people, millionaires, right, who were millionaires through selling houses or selling insurance or whatever. And what you realize is when money is not an option anymore, you want experiences. You want to prove something. You want to experience your life. You want to use your life for as much as it possibly can do. You want to challenge your yourself. So I just want to say, to anybody putting a price tag on David Ar- uh, on David Ar- Arquette's stint in wrestling, you don't get it. You you never will. You're probably a negative human being. And why is it your business what David Arquette got paid to fulfill a lifelong dream? You know, he went in. Hey, look, I've always wanted to go paragliding. I've never done it. If I went paragliding over the ocean and I fell and fell 100 feet to the ocean and, bro- and broke my leg... I would still be happy that I went paragliding, you know? So I just kind of want to shut people up for a minute and say, why are you putting a price tag on a guy who's worth millions and owns nightclubs in L.A. and is getting checks from movies he made in the, the 90s each day? You know, this is a guy who grew up wanting to watch wrestling. He's got millions, and he wanted to be a wrestler. And this year, he was a fucking wrestler, and he wrestled in Mexico. He wrestled uh, all kinds of different matches. And his final match was a death match against one of the best, you know, probably the biggest name in American deathmatch wrestling. So, like, what's the hate about? I- I'll I'll just never get that, you know. So I don't know if you have any opinions on that before we go on. Uh, no, I I absolutely agree with you. Absolutely agree with you. 
Okay. You know, he went in and did that. Um, he did it for his love of the wrestling, obviously. It was really cool because he's uh, been doing this different shit and, uh, you know, shooting this documentary, which I can't wait to see. So I absolutely agree with you. Oh, well. Um, so, okay, going on. Uh, the only Japanese news I've got. So Freedoms, um, I just want to say this really quickly. So Freedoms is doing a show t in about 12 hours. I was hoping that we could have done the show after, but because of time-wise, we can't. But they're going to have a one-night tournament to decide who's going to face Takeda at Bloody Christmas. Kasai's going to win. There's no it, like, there's no doubt about it. He's going to win. So, um, uh, so we're going to get the Bloody Christmas card uh, for next week. But the only real real news is that Takeda got married. Um, he got married over the summer, and um, he just announced that he he got married uh, this past weekend. He said that he didn't want to, um, you know, he didn't want to announce it while he was, um, you know, he's a guy that you can tell he, he took that double reign very seriously and he didn't want to announce his marriage to the fans and take away the attention from what he was doing in the ring. And now that, um, now that he doesn't have the big Japan title and I would wager 75, 25 that he's not going to keep the freedoms title after, uh, after Bloody Christmas, you know, now that he can kind of um, focus on other things, um, you can see on Twitter, he's not wrestling as much. He's not doing all of the big Japan tours. And even when he is, you know, he's not doing the main event singles matches. He's doing a lot of tag matches. Um, and uh, he's buying a lot of owls. Um, he lives very close to an owl cafe, and he just bought his first owl to take home. And... Um, just good for, for for him. And overnight, his Twitter went from bloody pictures of him with his tongue out carrying knives to smiling in a park with owls on his shoulders overnight. And it, it just, it, it, you know, it's really cool, man. It's just cool to see a guy, you know, I just want, obviously these guys put their body through the ringer and I, I always hope that they get a, a soft landing when the memories you know, when, when it's time to move on, I always hope that guys have, like, a soft landing. So nothing but congratulations to to him, and we'll see where his career goes from here. So, um, what else? Uh, Big Japan announced that uh, to, Takumi Tsukamoto is going to be the first guy to challenge, to challenge Messiah Takahashi on the January 2nd Big Japan show. So we have that to look forward to. But that's all I've got as far as Japanese news. Um, I wanted to talk about the marriage though at the at the top of the hour. Um, Casanova and Mance Warner, were you able to watch this match? Uh, clips of it. I don't think I don't think he's released the whole match yet. Um, but clips of it. Um, essentially they had a, a no ring death match in uh, New York City. Uh, Casanova pinned pinned uh, Mance Warner. Uh, he's got the twenty four seven unsanctioned pro title. Uh, Casanova basically passed out after the match. One of the Boulevard Bullies, I believe Steve, pinned Casanova, who then shortly was pinned by Mance Warner. So Mance Warner uh, lost and won and managed to uh, come out as the unsanctioned pro champion. It looked like a they, cool match. What, what's that? Yeah, well, and, and, and then they've got a show coming up in January, right? They do. Um, so far, they've got it's Unchanging 3, Capital City Chaos. It's in Columbus, Ohio, January 5th, 2019. Uh, Talent-wise, who they've got booked, if you give me two seconds here, I'll, I'll spill all that out to us. Um, 
It's their third show, and if anybody's not familiar with them, they're, they're a cool company. They do kind of hardcore stuff. They had a really crazy Lego match on their first show with uh, Eric Ryan and um, Marcus Crane. That looked pretty uh, wild. So far, talent-wise, they haven't really uh, announced matches, but so far they've announced that Cash Noble Valentine, G-Raver, Slack, Alex Crane, The Rejects, Connor Claxton, Matthew Justice, uh, Cody Rice, Maria Manick. The Ugly Ducklings, uh, Sage Phillips, plus more to be announced. So that's a pretty good start to the show. I've enjoyed the first two shows. I thought they got a cool kind of vibe. I like the uh, hardcore eight-man rumble they had the last show, and then the title still changed hands three times by the time the show was done. It's kind of a kooky, wild thing. Uh, the Rejects had a good tag match. So, yeah, they're definitely, if you're in Ohio, uh, you like hardcore wrestling. Uh, you know, obviously Ohio is very regulated, but they do, you know, tables and chairs and uh the last match, I think they had some Kensins in the ring for the one match. Then they've got uh, Legos in the main event. And, and I'll be honest with you, you know, you think Legos and we all laugh, but Eric Ryan looked fucked up after that Lego match. He had bruises and shit, all cuts all over his body. And, you know, thinking about landing on the Mega Legos, if you ever step on one, they hurt like a bitch. Imagine getting thrown from a top rope onto one with no shirt. You know, and definitely. they're using like the the really big clunky super ones as well. With... Mega Legos. Yeah. Yeah. Super Mega Legos. So they look pretty wild. So yeah, it's a company. If you're in Ohio, check them out. Um, if not, you know their shows come out on Smartmatic Video. Uh, it's definitely a cool formation or promotion to check out. I wanted to ask you something. So I was talking to the, to the guy when they the, when they had their first show back in like July or something. And he was telling me that the commission in Ohio is pretty strict. You, you aren't even technically legally allowed to have a blade job on the show. So that's why you're seeing, like, a Lego deathmatch and this type of stuff. Um, but then, you know, AIW in Cleveland, they've had Eric Ryan go through glass panes. I know H2O ran a show in Ohio that had, a, you know, a barbed wire deathmatch with uh, Tre uh, 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 Tremont. What is it like some comp or you know, how can some companies get away with it and, and then other companies can't? Well, I, I've never uh, I've never heard that Ohio was that regulated because you know they've had stuff with DBA back in the day. A lot of the Michigan companies would run in Ohio with Necker Butcher and Toby Klein. Um, IW Mid South ran a few shows there. But I mean if it's the case is it, perhaps they're just not getting caught, but yeah. Uh, AIW's had Buddy Matt, they've had Masada and Pondo, they've had Necro Butcher and uh, Drake Younger, they've had Fire, they've had uh, the Noah Barbwire, which if anybody ever checks out between uh, The Passion, uh, John Thorne, and uh, Haley Hatred, it was fucking amazing. They had this really long feud in AIW years ago, uh, Haley, and they had this really bloody dog collar match, and they had this really cool intergender Noah Barbwire match. Which is probably one of the you know earlier intergender death matches with you know exception like Mickey Knuckles, uh, and that was a really cool thing. So yeah, I don't know because these other promotions have all but I know DBA has had a hundred light two match at one of his shows in the past. So there's a long history of uh, violent stuff in in the Ohio. Even Cleveland All Pro Wrestling back in the day had Ian Rotten and Mad Man Pondo come in and do some crazy stuff. So I'm not sure what the exact deal is in the Ohio Commission, because if you look back at history, there's definitely a history of death matches and, and wild stuff. Uh, Juggalos have ran shows in Ohio before. They're JCW tours. Yeah, so I, I'm yeah. not quite sure. I actually, actually, I actually actually went to one of those. It was I always forget that I went to this show. Uh, JCW, they did a show right up the street from me in Toledo, Ohio, 
probably you know 2013 or 14 and necro butcher was on the the show they didn't they they didn't have a death match but they but every match the guys were like bloody as hell by the end with chairs and tables and all this type of stuff so i forgot all about that yeah so yeah uh, i mean cool. there's a, like i said a long history of a uh, violence in ohio you know even dating back to the 50s and 60s uh, because you had the Sheik in Michigan he would run one half of Ohio and you had Dick the Bruiser in Indianapolis that had WWA and they would kind of split up the territories and I mean if you've ever seen a Sheik match I don't know any Sheik matches where there isn't bleeding uh, and it's the same way with Dick the Bruiser very hardcore kind of big brawler style so there's definitely a lot of uh, a history of hardcore matches I know NWF uh, ran a lot of shows there also in the 1970s on uh, Abdul Butcher was their champion twice so there's another guy who bleeds like crazy. So there's a long line of history with Ohio and death matches. Um, really quickly, I want to say one thing. This is just on on my mind. Uh, I'm looking at Twitter, and Freedom's just posted the you know the ad for the the tournament show tonight uh, to decide who's going to face uh, Takeda. The first round matches are Kasai versus Masaka, and then they have Takashi Sasaki versus Tomoyo. Hirata. Now, Hirata's in his first year still. Uh, he debuted November 2018, so he's so he just now passed one year. Or, I'm sorry, 2017. He's had like two wins ever. From a kayfabe point of view, I don't know how he's in this tournament. I just kind of wanted to say that real quickly. But anyway, um, so okay, cool. It seems like they could put somebody else in. Um, I mean, they could have put in. More. I mean, Freedoms has a couple really cool guys. You know, they have uh, Yu Yu Susumi, who, uh, he's a junior, but he does a really cool, like, MMA high-flying style. They have, you know, Cam, we could have been in there. But I think maybe it's going to be death matches, and, they, and I know that this, you know, Harada wants to be a death match. You know, he's going to be a guy who's going to be, he, he's going to be a death match star in, like, two years. No doubt about sure. it. He wrestles in, in black trunks. He goes full force into the... The light bulbs, the barbed wire. I mean, he loves taking a, you know, he loves reaching in his trunks for a, a, a blade. He's going to be the deathmatch guy for Freedoms going forward for sure. So uh, maybe they just wanted to get that. Hey, maybe we'll get the Kasai versus Harada main event deathmatch at Shinkiba. I, I would love to see that on tape. So we'll see. Absolutely. So, um, okay, uh, we got some UK news, actually, to go into. Um, before we get into the, uh, the Big Joe stuff, um, ICW, they ran a show, the Fear and Loathing show. I wasn't able to watch this. Were you able to watch this? I, I watched the Ladies uh, Insanity Deathmatch. I didn't watch the entire show, but I definitely checked out that match. Um, really good match. It was, uh, it was uh, Katie Lee Ray against uh, Viper. Um ridiculous amount of thumbtacks she had a bucket it seemed like the bucket was full to the brain i mean when she poured out the thumbtacks it looked like it pretty much just covered this girl uh from head to toe uh you know they did some wild spots they went through a table uh one of them brought in a barbed wire bat towards the end of the match really really cool match um i checked it out today as uh, somebody sent it to me and uh ICW is known for doing death matches. Uh, you know, they've done a lot of stuff with uh, Jimmy Havoc and Mikey Whiplash and Chris Renfro in the past and Drew Parker. But yeah, the match, at one point, uh, Viper just poured out these ridiculous amount of thumbtacks. I'm watching some clips from it now. Uh, she actually, the finish is uh, like a Somerset powerbomb through a barbed wire table. Uh, she powerbombs uh, Kaylee Ray 
through uh, two chairs, which is a six spot. Uh, just uh, the chair just buckles. And if anybody knows Kaylee Ray, she's just a petite little thing. And Viper's, a, you know, a muscular lady. Uh, they're smashing some kind of ceramic object over each other's head. Looks like they just went all over the building. But, I'm, you know, I'm just watching the thumbtack. When she pours these tacks, it seems like she pours for 10 seconds. Uh, ridiculous amount of thumbtacks. And my favorite kind, two gold thumbtacks. So deathmatch wrestlers, if you're going to do a thumbtack one, do the gold ones. They're much, much more visual. You don't uh, like the ones yeah. they use in, uh, well, what is it, AAA, where they're all red, blue, green, yellow? Yeah, I like the gold myself, but yeah, you know, it's more visual. But uh, yeah, the match was absolutely brutal. It was called the Queens of Insanity match. It was for the ICW uh, women's title. So uh, definitely Fear and Loathing uh, 9, one of their big cards. Uh, I'll end up watching the whole show tonight, uh, but that was definitely, uh, I clicked in and watched that. It was a very enjoyable women's match. Uh, Kimley Ray is Kaylee Ray. I've called her eight different names now. Her name is Kaylee Ray. She's not really known for uh, you know hardcore stuff, but it was definitely a really cool match. Another cool match I watched, uh, a UK hardcore match. It was from last year, uh, but I'm going to post that later on the cult page. It was uh, Jimmy Havoc and uh, Jenny in Riptide. It was more of a hardcore match, but they had a barbed wire bat and they just beat the fuck out of each other. You know, it was a really enjoyable match. Uh, I know she went to the semifinals of the uh, APC. Uh, Masters of Brutality tournament over there also, so she's she, tiny little thing. And it's just a uh, really cool to uh, to watch that match, but definitely uh, you know check it out. Uh, Women's Death Match Wrestling is uh, taking such a jump in the last year. Uh, there's so many. I could probably name. 30 really good women's death matches that happened in the last year uh, between Mexico, of UK, Australia, which is ridiculous. Um, in Australia, Vixen is just tearing it up. Uh, she does death matches for Underground Pro, which you can catch on uh, Amazon, BCW, which is a promotion that has Mad Dog McRae as their champion. Uh, he's He did a death match with June Kasai last year, and he's been doing a crazy series of death matches with Nick Burry. Um, so, yeah, the ladies are just tearing it up. You know, Mexico, you've got Lufisto, Chica Tormenta, La Magnificia. There's, there's so many amazing talent in the United States. You know, Maria Manic, Sage Sin recently stopped. We've got Maria. Um, and the WHU show, uh, the uh, W, or the, excuse me, the women's, H2O show, uh, Tremont's new promotion. They just released that tape. Um, and the main event was uh, Amazing Maria and Randy West. It was a really crazy, crazy match. I know that their next card is going to be Maria Manic. And I forget who. That's terrible. But Maria Manic, oh, Maria Manic and Tara Calloway in a no-rope barbed wire match. That's going to be the main event of their next show coming up, I think, in January or February. So, yeah, women's wrestling is absolutely amazing right now, uh, deathmatch wrestling. You know, you can't go wrong. Last year, we had the Resistance Tournament. We had the Goddess of Gore. Uh, Zona ran a tournament. Uh, we had some really good shows. You know, Sage uh, did H2O show. You know, they're all over. There's lots of talented women going out and just destroying themselves. And there's a lot of great intergender matches. Uh, you know, Sage and Maria were both in the LOA this year. Uh, Maria has, you know, been a dominant force in H2O. Just, uh, you know, having crazy matches with uh, Kid Osborne and Jimmy Lyon. And she had that ridiculous match with Slack a few years ago at the Christmas Classic. So, yeah, if you like women's deathmatch wrestling, it's definitely time. And check check these things out with the internet. 
it's so easy to find them. You know, people are like, oh, my God. It's not that hard to find it, man. Check it out. There's all kinds of awesome promotions around the world, and you can see all these amazing uh, different athletes putting on amazing matches. Speaking of which, so um, in uh, the UK, in a city called Leeds. Now, I don't know if people know Leeds. I only know Leeds because I have a lot of friends from Leeds, and they make it sound like the Detroit of the UK is the way they kind of make it sound, just a lot of crime and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, um, so, uh, you know, friend of the show, Big Joe, this guy's so cool and so fun. He's like six foot three. He wrestles in a white dress shirt and these white, you know, he plays off like a party gimmick basically where he's got like these white trunks that look like kind of like a diaper to be completely honest. But anyway, um, this dude, you know, he goes full nine, but they had a, a, a Taipei deathmatch. It was the first ever Taipei deathmatch on December 1st. Um, we're going to do another Taipei deathmatch when we review the VOW show at the end. But anyway, um, so this was December 1st. Uh, Big Joe defeated Lou Newton. Um, this was for like, you know, Lee, uh, I'm sorry, Rise has a, um, a hardcore core title. So this was for that title. Um, they've put the show on Patreon. So you can go to Patreon. Let me get the exact address because I don't want to be wrong. One second. Um, there we go. If you go to patreon.com slash rise underground, uh, they have a su- subscription feature for $5 that gives you access to the shows that, that they do. And they actually offer a lot of stuff that, um, more than most, uh, companies. And, uh, so they put this show up for, uh, for their Patreons and, uh, we were able to get a, uh, review copy basically. And, um, uh, before, so I'll go over the match really quickly. So, um, it was a Taipei pay death match and you know, when people do death matches and they don't know the little tricks to make it really safe, they had the glass. So when, when, when Axel Rotten and Ian Rotten were doing the Taipei death matches, they would glue the glass from the bottles to their fists or tape it or whatever. And they would make sure that the glass was flat so that there weren't big jagged edges. Well, these guys come out and they have big jagged edges sticking up off of their fists and they're doing this kind of worked MMA match with, like, these kicks and punches. It was a little sloppy, not the cleanest stuff ever. But as they start punching each other with the glass, oh, my God. I mean, this Lou Newton dude, he got opened up insane. I couldn't believe the blood that was coming out of his head. Um, they had light tubes. They had uh, one of the fans named Danny Douglas. Um, he, I just want to pop that guy. Uh, he built, uh, you know, he ripped off, because I'm going to, you know, he ripped off the fan light tube contraption that Uto is using in Big Japan, which opened up a little bit of a Twitter back and forth. And, um, you know, uh, I thought it was like, you know, it wasn't a great deathmatch, but the thing about it was, Rise, they, so UK fans are known for being just really wild. They sing, they get plastered wasted by like the third match. They sing, they chant, they're into the, 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 the whole show, and it actually reminded me of the original Game Changer world, where you had the fans really close to the ring, you had glass flying all over, the fans were really into it, going wild. Um, I thought it was a really fun match to watch. I saw you? clips of it, definitely looked like a, a real cool match. I didn't see the whole thing, but I saw clips of it. And uh, I like what they do, uh, Big Joe's a cool guy, I, I talked to him online here and there, and it's definitely a... You know, it's kind of like a Chikara meets uh, maybe GCW. Would that be a fair uh, estimate? (laughs) 
yeah, that that's not a, a yeah, that's not a bad one. You know, they're they're not like Fight Club Pro. They're not Fight Club Pro. They aren't progress. You know, this is they they're running shows in front of a hundred people or or one hundred and fifty or whatever in a bar. So you do get that small atmosphere. So you know, I'm you know, the talent isn't at the level of like you know Jimmy Havoc and these guys. But it's just two big guys with glass tape to their fists, bleeding all over the place, and both of them are dressed all in white. So you get, you know, I don't know why more people, why are people wearing black trunks or, well, well, you know, black shirts in a death match? You know, um, everyone should be wearing white t-shirts so that the blood just looks that much gnarlier, you know? Yes. Um, but, hey, um, you know, Steve Crano. Steve Crano always wore his beautiful white clothing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Big, yeah, big, freak. big blonde hair, white t-shirt, all that. So, um, so if you want to see something different and, and you got five bucks and you want to throw it to someone who's doing some great deathmatch stuff, um, definitely check out patreon.com slash rise underground. Um, a couple other notes, um, rise is going to have a deathmatch rumble. Um, well, I, I, it's not a deathmatch rumble, but I would assume that there's going to be some deathmatch spots in it. That's going to be on January 5th in Leeds. So if you happen to be in Leeds, definitely check that out. Um, what else? Uh, Mike, before we get into some bigger stuff, um, the British promotion TNT Extreme Wrestling, which I've never heard of, they announced they're going to have a, a, a deathmatch tournament. Do you know any, Do you know anything about that? Uh, Jimmy Havoc's announced. Um, yeah, they, they do. Uh, they haven't done a tournament before, but they do deathmatch stuff. Uh, Clint Margera works there quite a bit. Um, he, he's been there a lot. So uh, they announced Jimmy. I don't think they. I think maybe Chris Ridgeway too was announced. Another guy who does a lot of different death matches in the UK. I believe those are the only uh, two guys that they've announced so far. But yeah, they've got a history of doing uh, you know death matches and stuff. There's a lot of smaller companies in the UK. Uh, for instance, like TNT. There's Kamikaze Pro. There's these promotions that you don't hear about as much, but there's a lot of, of set guys that work them. You know, Jack Jester, Chris Ridgeway, Chris Renfro, Jimmy Havoc, uh, Clint Margera, Drew Parker. There's definitely a, a building. Uh, and you know, to be honest with you, if you look back at the history of the British wrestling, Zack Saber Jr. used to do a lot of the hardcore matches when he started out too. Him and Jimmy had quite a bloody feud. Um, in IPW, they used to have a lethal lottery every year. Him and Jimmy had quite a few there, so you know, there's definitely something that's going around. And you know, near the elder statesmen like Hate, who doesn't wrestle anymore, but you had Hate, uh, Violent Tom, a guy like the Iceman, who bridged back to CWA with Otto Wands, which is way back when, Ula Herman, uh, obviously Thumbtack Jack, Bernard Four, uh, Adam Pollock. So there definitely was a lot of guys that did, you know, the death matches in WXW. Obviously, WXW doesn't really do that anymore but there definitely was a lot of talent in the past that did that so you know this company is going to be holding that tournament all i know is uh, jimmy havoc and like i said i believe chris ridgeway and they said it's going to be an eight-man tournament i haven't heard uh, anything else yet but that's cool to see some more uh, tournaments coming about in the uk but yeah like i said everybody thinks that's pp but kamikaze pro is another one uh 
they're constantly doing no DQ matches, tag team death matches, uh, you know, all the time. Uh, recently, I know that just in the last three or four months, they've done a bunch of no DQs, fans bring the weapons. So they're a cool promotion to check out. Same way with uh, TNT Extreme. There's a lot of new promotions popping up. The European scene is growing exponentially. So it'll be interesting to see uh, where they come about in the next year or two uh, because they're constantly, constantly growing. Awesome. So, okay, um, what else are we, anything else on the UK? I think, oh, there's one thing I want to talk about as far as the UK goes. So, um, so WWE is opening up an NXT UK and they've signed a bunch of companies to these deals where they're going to have talent exchanges between the WWE NXT brand and then these other, their, uh, uh, companies. And it's built in a way that, to keep these talents in this little pool and to try to snuff out the smaller indies is basically what it is. And there's even deals in place where um, if in the next two years, if WWE wants to buy out and close down the, these companies, they have that option. And, um, you know, they're offering the, the, the set, you know, I, I, read some, I read a thing online that it's a $750,000 buyout per company. So some of the... Yeah. So some of the shows are going to be like uh, Fight Club Pro, ICCW out of Scotland, which we just kind of, you know, we just kind of talked about. Fight Club Pro, they do the Death House death matches and stuff with like yep. uh, uh, Ricky Shane Page, Drew, Drew Parker, Jimmy Havoc, blah, yep. blah. I would imagine that um, this is pretty much going to slowly, if not immediately, completely kill the these companies doing death matches i would imagine i think there'll still be some um it's going to definitely hurt them um obviously like icw and things like that definitely hurt them but there'll still still be your smaller promotions i mean i don't know that you know wwe will sign all these guys i don't know if they'll sign jimmy havoc maybe I don't know if they'll sign like Clint Margera or Drew Parker, uh, but it's definitely going to hinder them. I mean, as WWE has over here, because they've got their WWE UK, now they've got WWE Germany, or NXT Germany, excuse me, just like NXT UK. I've also heard that we're probably going to see NXT Japan in the next year. Which I've anticipated for uh, for a while, and... Um... I've always put my money on that uh, d that WWE is just going to buy uh, buy Noah. I think that that's how it's going to work because for WWE to come in and create yet another new company in the Japanese market, which is already so so over saturated, it I just think that wouldn't be the right move. And Noah's a company that you know they're like a C plus company. They have one show a year that might draw three thousand people somewhere, but overall Noah's really on like autopilot with nothing going on. And they've been bought and sold a few times in the past couple of years. So I would assume that WWE is just going to buy Noah. That's my personal bet, you know? Wouldn't be surprised. It's a shame, too, because Noah, when they first came out, were, you know, 20,000, 30,000 people. Uh, you know, big Tokyo to Tokyo Dome shows. Uh, Masawa, obviously, after Masawa's death, it just kind of slowly... You know, faded away and mismanagement and a lot of guys leaving to go back to all Japan or New Japan. It's a shame. Uh, Noah was a, a beast back in the day. I, I thought Noah was the best Japanese promotion in, in 2001. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, well, I mean, they had, you know, they split from all Japan with the top guys. Took everybody but two guys. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, they didn't they didn't take uh, Kawada. Eventually did some matches for him there. You know, and they didn't, uh, you know, they took everybody else. They had Kobayashi, Teyu, uh, Akiyama, Masawa, Vader brought over. They just had everybody. Yeah. You know, then Takayama. Just uh, Noah was by far the uh, the best. You know, I'm just reading a little bit about this TNT show, too, here. Um, the reward that's going to be for a TXT Extreme Division Championship, this says eight men, but I guess the only one that's been advertised is Jimmy Havoc. It's going to be in Liverpool. It's going to be in January uh, January 31st. So there's not a whole lot of information, but definitely I'll keep track on that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and if more and more information uh, comes out, we'll, we'll definitely keep track about it. Do they talk about? Um, um, I'm I'm sorry. Did they mention the city it's going to be in? Yeah, I just said Liverpool. It is Liverpool. Okay, cool. I was just curious. Yeah, no okay, problem. cool. Maybe you didn't hear me. Yeah, it's going to be Liverpool, uh, uh, seventeen twenty one Fleet Street, and Fusion Liverpool. I assume that's a club or something. There's not a whole lot of. Uh, other information uh, on there. Just uh, basically, uh, it is a one-night tournament. Um, they don't do a lot of one-night. I know a couple of the tournaments in the UK have been like stretched over like a month or two, which which are okay. But I think you know to have a really good tournament feels nice to have an eight-man tournament in one night. You can kind of lose focus if you stretch shows out too long. You know what I mean? In general, I don't think the Deathmatch Tournament should be more than eight guys. I just don't think so. Because, you know, I was watching that IWA Mid-South Tournament from this year, and that was a slog yeah. to get through. Yeah. You yeah. you wind up with guys who are just at, at different skill levels. You wind up with guys who are at different exposure levels. And then you wind up with, you know, you want to create different gimmicks and have different, um, you know, different matches. And you wind up with, like, multi-man matches and bullshit stipulations yeah. like... You know, pits of coal and, um, you know, carpet strip matches and stuff. It's like, no, you got eight guys. You stick to the glass, the barbed wire, the, the thumbtacks, maybe one other thing. I don't know. I just don't believe in these massive 500-people tournaments, personally. I agree with you. I agree. Uh, too many people. And, and two days is just too much, too, because you're not going to get four great matches from each guys they're gonna have a couple dog matches because you can't kill yourself four times in two days just not realistic uh, and all these guys are so beaten up i always thought you know just just spitballing it would be cool if someone started a company kind of like a usc vibe but all they did was deathmatch tournaments one a month maybe a couple different cities in, in different different talent throughout the year but i always thought that would be kind of a cool idea because uh, there is so many deathmatch wrestlers, you could do that. You know what I mean? That way, you'd be able to, you know, sign maybe one or two big names and, and new guys. I just thought that'd always be a cool idea. Like call it deathmatch tournament wrestling. I know there was a deathmatch tournament wrestling back in the day. And they ran two shows, but they didn't do tournaments. They were supposed to, and they totally fucked the the horse on that. And I'm not even going to give them any shoutouts. But uh, definitely, I, I thought that'd be cool if somebody did that. Just ran maybe even every other month. Maybe not every month. Maybe six times a year they run an eight-man tournament. I mean, uh, well, then maybe well, have one... like a super fight at the end of the year where they bring four of the winners and you know maybe four of the winners and then four people the fans voted for best performance. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, one company already did that, and it was Game Changer Wrestling in 2017. 
You know, every yeah, show yeah, was a, a deathmatch tournament practically, just no brackets. Well, it wasn't a tournament, though. It was a deathmatch show, I agree with you, but like an actual eight-man tournament, you know what I'm saying? Like five times a year, maybe, then have like a super fight. Which, yeah, yeah, but then, they definitely then you're looking at you need at least like 25 guys. I mean, That's there's not hard. No, is there so well, much there's 15 up? top guys, but then you would wind up with, you know, well, That's we'll get into it guys, later. <laughs> guys that might not get a chance, you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't have to bring in Spider Boudreaux or, or uh, John Rare, <laughs> trust me. I could run six tournaments and not figure them two fellas in there. No offense to them or their fans. But, but yeah, I just think now the time there's, you know, even guys that maybe don't normally do that work might go in and do, like, a first-round match. You know what I mean? I think you could do it. But I understand what you're saying, too. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, let's see. Um, what do you want to do next? You want to cover American result? Well, since we already talked about some stuff, well, uh, let's stick with America. H2O had the Bloody Burger show. Um, I haven't seen it yet. I, you know, you know. Obviously, it, it hasn't come out. Um, going into it, hamburger, or I'm sorry, cheese, cheeseburger, who the show was named after, he couldn't be on the show anyway. Um, he wound right. up having food, food, uh, food poisoning. Um, we don't, we don't have to go over the whole show. I was just wondering if you heard any like highlights or anything from the show. Uh, I heard Maria Manic got hurt. Uh, that's why she was not able to do the resistance show the next night. Because she was supposed to be teaming with Schlack in, in Illinois against Chloe and Medman Pondo. And uh, they, uh, they, I don't know the extent. I don't think it was a horrific injury. But enough that she got a stinger that she wasn't able to compete the next night. Uh, I heard that Gory and uh, Jerry Avery was a really good match. And also I heard that uh, Stockade ended up uh, turning on uh, Jerry Avery. And uh, attacking him, so that's obviously going to set up a feud. Uh, I know Tremont took on someone I've never heard of. I think the guy's name was Donnie Gallagher. No idea who that is. Um, like I said, and, and which you know, there's a lot of guys I don't know them all, but I'm impressed sometimes because I do know a lot of them, and I've never heard of Donnie Gallagher. I've done a little research, and I haven't figured out who he is yet, but. I heard it was an overall uh, pretty good show. I know uh, the Ultimate Jeopardy set up that the next show is going to be Clone and uh, champion Ron Mathis in the first H2O cage match. And then uh, Notorious Inc. are going to be taking on the Extricated for the tag team title. So definitely set up the next show. And then it's the next show, uh, Tremont is supposed to take on Cheeseburger. All right, cool. Um, and we're... I So... We say it every time we ever talk about H2O, but I'm glad that someone's doing angles and building angles. And we're going to get into it with the VOW show that we're going to review at the end. But I'm glad someone's doing angles. Um, before we go on to Mexico, are there any other American results to go over? Um, no, there was a – let me see. There was some a Canadian promotion called uh, IHW. Uh, did a barbed wire cage match where I guess they had barbed wire bats in the ring and uh, it was a promotion I haven't heard of before but it's IHW in New Brunswick, Canada uh, Mike Hughes took on Titus so that's just something uh, you know for people to check out in Canada it's cool to see uh, these new promotions doing some hardcore and crazy stuff the only other thing I would talk about was the Resistance show um, and actually the good folks from Resistance sent us the show so we posted it on our page and now it's up on YouTube too but they had a show uh I know Zodiac uh, beat uh, Aiden Blackheart. I'm not going to go over everything. Uh, the, there was a spot that's going like uh, crazy from that show. Let me just look it up here. 
Mad Men, Pondo, and Chloe uh, defeated the bomb shelter. Uh, there's a spot where uh, the one wrestler picked up the uh, bleacher. Did you see that? Sh- uh, Shane Mercer yeah, picked I did. A giant yeah. section of bleachers up and like carried them to the ring. And that's actually been like all over the internet. It's going like viral. I think they showed it on ESPN or something. Someone told me yesterday. It was like a just you know people were comparing it to Terry Funk. Well, Terry picked up a ladder. He picked up like a ten foot section of bleachers. And I know they're not the heaviest thing, but they're awkward. And he, like, hulked them and was, like, doing a spin around and backing people over with them uh, in a handicap match. And then I know the main event, Pondo and Chloe uh, beat the bomb shelter, uh, Joseph Swartz and Randy West. And there was light tubes and barbed wire, and I guess there was thumbtacks in that match. So I heard it was a pretty crazy match. It was supposed to really have been Slack and Maria Manic, but with Maria's injury, she had to pull out. So that's really the only thing besides the H2O. Uh, American-wise, for results. All right, cool. So, okay, going on to Mexico. Um, the first big news, and you and me talked about it before, and I don't want to – well, we'll see. So, Angel O – what's his name? Angel O. Diemenos. Angel okay. So, the cocksucker who threw the brick at the guy's head, um, who was – you know, the commissions were going to ban him from wrestling as long as Cuervo was in the hospital. And, you know, the kid's got a uh, hematoma and he just got out of surgery and they're raising money for him. And this kid almost died. Uh, well, this guy's wrestling again. Uh, you know, he's going to be wrestling in Juarez. Uh, I, I think it might have it might have already happened. I'm not sure. Um, I, you know, we don't. Hey, I think it sucks that this guy's wrestling already. I'm sure that you think it sucks that he's wrestling already. I think it comes down to are you shocked? I guess is the real question. Uh, a little bit, but I guess it's a different world there. You know, this fucking asshole, um, I'm not even going to mention the name of the promotion because they're a bunch of cocksuckers, too. They actually put him on the cover with bricks in his hands. Just like there's another Facebook group that's throwing pictures of him with bricks in their hands, they're a bunch of cocksuckers, too. Um, I don't I don't like to generally say that, but he almost killed somebody. People have no tact. It's deathmatch wrestling. We watch it because these guys defy death. We don't actually want to see them try to kill someone. He almost killed this guy, this fucking pudgy piece of shit who sucks in the fucking ring anyways. You know, now doing this gimmick with the bricks. I hope someone fucking gives him a receipt. They give him a brick right between the fucking eyes. Um, and the promoters, I, I'm not gonna, I won't post any of his shit on my page because I think he's a fucking asshole. I'm not gonna do anything to promote him or his brick throwing or any asshole promoters that uh, do it. You know, and you know, no offense to these promoters, but if you're gonna carry a guy like that on, don't hit me up for interviews or shit or promoting your pages because I won't. Um, I just think it's disgusting that this fucking asshole did that, and he should have got arrested. You know, he should have got arrested. Absolutely. If it was up here, I don't care if it was indie wrestling, sure or not, they would have arrested him. Just fucking disgusting. I'm not going to go on about it. He doesn't deserve the time on his show. Um, yeah, you know, we we already talked about it last week. It's obviously pretty gross to be having, you know, now he's the Cinderblock King, I guess. And I, like I said before, there's going to be kids lining, you know, there's going to be young dudes lining up around the block to be like, hey, bro, give me the Cinderblock spot, you know, fucking make me a star. One thing that came to mind, we talked about, you know, wrestlers in the past who have just assaulted fans and how we all think it's really cool. One thing that I forgot about, we, you know, it's really famous that New Jack swung a baseball bat on Gypsy Joe a couple times and, you know, put him in the hospital. We also forget that uh, New Jack took an ice pick out and stabbed a wrestler, like, you know, dozens of times in a match one time. Um, 
I hope this whole taking liberty, you know, things have really changed in the past 10 years, let alone 50 years. And I really hope that this notion of giving receipts by legitimately trying to murder people in the ring, I really hope that this shit's over with. But, um, fuck that dude, fuck the promotion, and I hope nobody goes and sees it. But we'll see. It's an old, it's an old boys network, and Marks love this stupid shit, so... Whatever. But, you know, and here's one thing too. The cocksucker no sold no sold the chair shots, so were they that hard? I mean he no sold them. So what the fuck? But on to the next one. That yep. Jay Z would say. On to the <laughs> Um All right, uh <laughs> that's cool. So okay. Well uh so okay, uh in Mexico we had uh we had two shows on the same day on December first. NGX ran a, a fairly big show and then DTU ran a show. So if you want to go over those for us. Absolutely. Uh, the NGX show uh, was supposed to have originally been Marcus Crane, but Marcus apparently had some issues and wasn't able to make the show. Um, it was a five-person show. Uh, Pedro uh, Vargas defeated uh, Black Spider and Sick Boy and Optimus. Uh, the Hooligans had a pretty crazy match with Graham Bell and Alberto uh, Turrios. Um, I've checked out that online. There's some pretty sick shots. Um, there was a technical match I'm not going to go into. Well, Violento Jack and Arrow Boy uh, took on Morta Extrema and Lord Byron. Uh, people don't know Lord Byron. He's been around for a long time. He's won one of the NGX tournaments in the past. He's done a lot of stuff for NGX and ALWA. Occasionally he'll go out in other promotions too, but he, you know, he's been there for a long, long time. He's definitely a veteran of that promotion. Um, in the main event, Pagano uh, took on uh, Sekiro. Uh, basically, it was a non-contest uh, because Saquito got legitimately knocked out. And uh, after the match, Pagano actually uh, relinquished his title in that promotion uh, because essentially, you know, him being signed to AAA, uh, he really doesn't get a chance to go out and do those shows as much. So he kind of did a favor to the promoter to ensure that, uh, you know, the title would be done and he did business right. So that's cool with Pagano. Um, before I talk about the other tournament, I just want to say, too, uh, AAA had a great, great death match. Another one. It was a three-way. It was Pagano on leader um, against Lamazios, against Ray El Scorpion and uh, Texicano. Uh, light tubes, uh, a table. I mean, it was just a crazy, crazy match. Uh, play and, and uh, Medeo looked like a million bucks in this match. So, Miedo. you know, it's on. Miedo. I was getting closer. See, I'm changing it. Miedo. Yeah. <laughs> Miedo. Miedo, excuse me. I call him by his real name, Jonathan. There. <laughs> Miedo and uh, Seco play looked like a million bucks. I hope they constantly bring them back. Uh, this they match looked is... awesome. They looked like pimps. They came out in these big furry coats with leather on. They had awesome music. I thought they looked like stars on that show. And they wrestled like stars. You know, if you want to watch this match, Deathmatch Cult page. Check it out. The whole entire match is on there. And I posted their previous match in AAA, too. Uh, it was definitely a, a crazy, crazy match. Uh, we try to keep up with our, our foreign promotions, you know, and we're doing matches tonight. So that was an awesome match. If you didn't see it, go check it out on the Cult page. Um, they really worked great. I hope they keep these guys in AAA. Um, they could be big stars because not only are they crazy and fearless, but they're really good luchadors. Uh, they're really good in the ring. They can wrestle. They can do it all. Um, it's, it's really cool to see that. So check them out. Uh, DTU ran their annual deathmatch tournament, the, uh, the Ultra Magnifa deathmatch tournament that they run every year. Um, it was an eight-man tournament. Uh, so uh, obviously uh, 
a good friend of mine, I'm looking up his name right now, which is horrible. They don't have it on here. I, I forget his first name. Uh, he posted everything uh, on our page. Uh, he was, a, was real awesome. He posted every match. He posted clips. They posted the main event. So it was really cool that we, we got that on our wrestling page, on the Deathmatch Cult page. Um, I'm just trying to... Uh, look up here so I can give him some credit as I'm talking about this tournament. Um, the tournament also was kind of a theme thing. Um, it was kind of uh, the AKE invasion of DTU. Um, basically, four of the wrestlers were AKE wrestlers, uh, kind of led by Crazy Frank. Uh, and they took on pretty much four of the DTU wrestlers. So it's obviously setting up for some more angles in the future and, and more cool things like that. So it's definitely something that you're going to want to check out uh, you know, in their next show, they haven't announced a date yet, but I'm sure that they're going to run with this for a while. Uh, you know, the DTU stuff and uh, the uh, AKE. AKE is Aztec uh, Karate Extremo promotion, which is a wild name, but they've been doing stuff for a while. Um, Crazy Frank is kind of their lead guy. He's done some uh, ridiculous matches with Violento Jack, with Arrow Boy. He recently had a match with Seco Play. So if you're not familiar with that promotion, clips on YouTube, there's some clips on their page on Facebook, I, I would go out and check them out, uh, because they're a really, really cool promotion uh, to check out uh, and, you know, that, that's the spot where uh, Violento Jack put him through a ridiculous uh, light tube contraption, looked like 10 feet off of a balcony <laughs> it was absolutely, absolutely nuts so I'm going to break down the tournament real quick for everybody, it looked like a really good show, like I said, I, I did see most of it um Crazy King defeated uh, Paranikio in a light tubes and skewers match. Uh, Tibran defeated Hermes in a thumbtack tubes and broken glass match. Crazy Fink defeated Demento Extremo. Uh, this was a tall tubes and short tubes match. They had those really long tubes that we saw in VOW at LOA, and they had some shorter tubes. Seco uh, Play and Medeo had their normal crazy glass fuckery match. It looked amazing. There was a couple of non-tournament matches, but I'm not going to go into them. Uh, semifinals, uh, Crazy Frank defeated Tibran, light tube board, and a car windshield match where they had a couple car windshields in each corner. Now, the next match was weird. Um, it was cool, but I was nervous for a minute. Uh, they said it was an ultra-violent naked match, naked glass. So, oh, okay, I'm watching it. They both come out wrapped up in towels. So I'm kind of nervous because it looks like all they have on is towels. And they start swinging light tubes at each other. This was, uh, excuse me, uh, Crazy King and, and Seco Play. So I'm like, ooh, I don't really want to see a couple of naked dudes swinging light tubes. But, you know, I'm watching it. Um, they lost the towels, and they only had, like, a small pair of shorts on. That's insane. Do a, do a death match in your underwear. Um, God bless them. They look crazy light tube spots. Um, they're just they're so insane to have that little of clothing on. And, and these guys got all cut up. Seco play got a nasty, nasty cut on his head. It just looked absolutely ridiculous. Main event, they did their, their King, uh, their House of Horrors match. Uh, I got pictures on the Deathmatch Cult page. Absolutely ridiculous shit. A uh, bunch of light tubes hanging off of light tube structure outside the ring. A couple light tube tables. Um, Crazy Frank defeated Crazy King, which is kind of wild. Because Crazy Frank is not a normally contracted DTU wrestler. Um, he's an AKE wrestler, so obviously they're building onto this feud. You know, and that's something Stephen talked about a little while ago. It's nice to see feuds. Um, 
on the promotion. It's nice to see that they're doing these kind of feuds and these promotions building up. So they use this whole tournament to kind of uh, push your feud, which I thought was absolutely cool. Um, I've heard that this is going to be on uh, DVD release soon. Um, I hope so. I talked to their promoter a little bit the other day. So I hope this is something that we absolutely are able to get out there quick and uh, everybody will be able to see. It looked like a, absolutely uh, a crazy, crazy show. Um, like I said, there's many, many clips on the page. It was really, really cool to see. I would recommend that, uh, you know, check it out. Check it out online. Uh, there's some, some on YouTube. If you go on a Deathmatch Cult page, there's clips of every single match. Uh, Omar Gomez is someone who's helped us out a lot in the past. I thank Omar. Thank everybody that sent clips from that tournament to us. Um, we grow as a deathmatch cult by the people that help us. Um, no one runs a deathmatch cult page. We're a family. And it's great that I have you know, the fans. Well, I've often sent in results and send me in pictures. And well, it's even asking. It's cool that everyone shares and gets along so good. Awesome. Well, yeah. Um, cool. So I'm I'm glad that that's gonna make uh, gonna make. Um video that we can maybe see it because a lot of those shows just never make video and you wind up with <clears throat> 45 second cell phone videos for the most part anyway yeah absolutely also uh in chile uh i know i talked about luchas clandestino they ran a deathmatch tournament recently i talked about it a few episodes back uh and it looked insane too it was a four-man tournament but the three matches looked nuts they ran another uh, light tube kenzen and dumbdack match uh, where billy rocker who won the tournament defeated Boric won they know they've got a deathmatch show coming up in february so check them out on youtube they're really cool guys i talked to hellspawn and, and uh billy the promoter really cool five luchas Clandestino. Uh, they're out of Santiago, Chile. And uh, also, uh, I was able to track down uh, some results from the show. I wasn't able to get any pictures for it yet or video, but I'm talking to someone who's supposed to send me pictures. In Spain, in Madrid, Spain, uh, White Wolf Wrestling, Triple uh, W, uh, runs uh, hardcore and deathmatch stuff. They had a Triple W tag team fall scout anywhere at Quit Match where they end up using barbed wire bats. Uh, the Utopia defeated the Radical Bikers. And then in the Triple W Extreme title, it was Barbed Wire, Boars, and Bats match, uh, Uni defeated Noah Stryker. So, as I always say, uh, Russia, Hungary, France, Italy, Spain, Chile, Brazil, South Africa, there is deathmatch wrestling everywhere. And uh, I, I find it amazing to be able to seek it out. When I get more pictures of this promotion, maybe we'll, uh, we'll do a write-up or talk about it on the cult page or on Deathmatch Radio News or a partner with Steven. It's just cool to see how these different promotions do it. At the same time, too, BCW in Australia ran another card on Light Tubes and Barbed Wire rematch. Mad Mod Create defeated Nick Burry again. On the same show, just as a Deathmatch note, but Ken Shamrock defeated Gabriel Wolf, and then Ken Shamrock defeated with Chris Canyon to win the BCW tag team title. So that was kind of the main event. But, you know, Mad McCray is someone I wish we'd seen in America more, or they bring him to Japan more. I, I think he's a talent. He's fought a lot of the best guys, and he's just wild and crazy in the ring. All right, cool. So, okay, uh, before we wrap up with the VOW uh, review, um, I want to talk about, so Hayabusa, he would have turned 50 this past week, right? And um, I just wanted to kind of go over, I wrote a little piece in, in my newsletter about, you know, um, it's always very, very dangerous to play what if. You know, it's really easy to say, 
what if the shield never broke up and Dean Ambrose was on the Today Show? You know, it's really easy to play those what if games. But with Hayabusa, um, you know, you read my article, but um, a couple of the 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 things, you know, a lot of people were sharing their uh uh you know their memories of Hayabusa, and the one thing that through doing the history of FMW with uh, with uh, Bahu that I never that was really put it into um, context is that. Hayabusa only had a, a career that lasted about six years, really. You know, he debuted the Hayabusa character at the FMW show. Well, I mean, he had been in the J-Cup before, but he debuted officially um, on May 5th, 1995, and by October 2001, he was paralyzed to so never wrestle uh, again. My one friend who's kind of on the outskirts, you know, he never lived through through that era, and he just knows it through tape trading and stuff. And, he, you know, he, he always said... Why isn't Hayabusa in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame? And I would always be really real and be like, look, he never had the big crazy draws that Onita did, obviously. He only wrestled for six years, and in those six years, he was injured a lot. But if you put it in, if you put it in context, six years into the career of Chris Jericho, he had only just debuted for ECW. Six years into the career of Benoit, I don't even think he had debuted for ECW. W, yeah, no, he you know, and it's Stampede. Well, Stampede would have closed, and he yeah. would have been in New Japan and doing some indie shows in the United States. So, so yeah, when you think about it, like these Hall of Famer wrestlers who went on to have these, you know, and Sting. I don't think Sting six years into his career, Sting was probably just now debuting in WCW after doing the territories and stuff. So it's like, you know, uh, Triple H six years into his career. He, I don't even think he was in, in WWE at that point, or, well, WWF. So the thing about Hayabusa is he had an incredibly short career, but he's one of the real most famous characters in wrestling, even before that injury. The style he was wrestling, the character, the costumes, you know. Um, I just kind of wanted to, wanted to bring it up to see, you know, what are, you know, like, what are your big memories of the Hayabusa character and um, if you had any thoughts about, you know, the life of him playing the what-if game. You know, it's interesting you mention this because me and Bahu were taping uh, Kawasaki uh, Dreaming, and we went on for about a half hour speculating about how I did, and we talked about that a lot. So it's kind of fresh in my mind. Uh, uh, we had some technical difficulties, so we're going to be retaping the show on Friday. But we really went into it, too, you know, and Bahu had mentioned, you know, how uh, definitely uh, – Important he how he was loyal to FMW and he probably wouldn't have left. Obviously he was a big all Japan fan. Um, Onita helped him get booked there and he did a lot of stuff in all Japan. And Bahu kind of thought that he would have ended up in Dragon Gate if uh, FMW shut because the Dragon Gate guys like loved him and you know the style and stuff. Um, he had some great matches in uh, all Japan. Uh, the tag team match he had with uh, Kawada against Kawada. And tell you what, the one tag league tournament was absolutely amazing. It doesn't get the credit it should. Um, so I don't know. I mean, obviously, uh, would he have gone to New Japan? I mean, could he have gone to ECW more? You know, it's hard to say that with the what if games. You know, memories of his matches too is uh, I loved. Uh, there was a tag team matchup. What's great about him was Onita was Onita. Onita was one thing, but when you put Hayabusa in, you got this guy who could do these high flying, crazy moves and in these death matches, and I thought it brought a whole new thing to it. I, I brought a new aspect to these matches because, you know, he's got his mask uh, he brought, bringing in, doing these crazy matches. 
He had a matchup with, uh, he teamed up with Matsunaga, and he took on uh, Kanemaru and Tanaka. And it was just an absolutely bloody, crazy, ridiculous match. I thought that was one of the most underrated matches in, in the time of FMW, you know, if people check that match out. Um, I really enjoyed his matches with Tanaka. His 99 match with Tanaka I thought was amazing. Um, his three matches he had with Mike Awesome. I thought were all amazing. I, I, I would see his ECW match with uh, Jinsei against Sabu and Van Dam was amazing. I, I enjoyed his work in All Japan. I thought he, he really could have. I thought he could have become a bigger star, um, because he had that persona, and it's just something that would have, to come over here, masks would have sold and things like that. You know, it definitely would have. Uh, I think he could have been a huge ECW star, if he had chose to. You know, do that if FMW had closed. But obviously, he was very loyal and he wanted to grow with FMW. Um, he did his few matches in you know all Japan, and he did some odd matches here. There, obviously, he was in the '94 uh, Jacob, the legendary '94 Jacob. Um, so definitely it would be a question of what could he have done, but I enjoyed him because, like I said, he, he could wrestle more. You know, not, I'm not going to need Onita was godfather of things, but no one's going to ever say that Onita was his uh, uh, knockdown wrestler. Um, he, he had his bit parts, even in all of Japan. He had, you know, he, he did what he did. He was a junior heavyweight, uh, but he was great at bleeding in FNW, and he put the company up, and he drew 50,000 people, so he's amazing for that. But Hayabusa came in with mask, the flashy gimmick, uh, the Phoenix splash, these amazing, crazy moves, and he do these death matches. So I thought it really was a shift. And some of my favorite FMW matches were maybe in that 97, 98, 99 period. Uh, after that, I uh, lost me. But, you know, there's just so many good matches with Hayabusa. You know, then he went to H, and him and Ganosuke had that long feud. And him and Foyoka, uh, him and Tanaka had some really good matches. He had a good match in December 97 I really liked with uh, Oya. So definitely there's a, a liturgy of these different matches. Uh, you know, him and Tanaka being the young boys against Pogo and Terry Funk in that one crazy death match. You know, it's kind of like their their stance uh, against the two of them in 96, you know, to, to kind of move on. Obviously with him and Onita in the one big cage match too. Yeah, I think that, you know, they always talk about that, you know, FMW, they formed the basis for the ECW style. But I would argue it wasn't the Onita because, you know, ECCW, um, they had a big time in 94 and 95 and 96. But for me personally, I got into ECCW in that late 96 to 99 era is when I think it was really amazing. You had Sabu and Rob Van Dam and, you know, uh, the reign of Taz and, you know, Tajiri and Super Crazy and blah, blah. And I would say that those matches were really based on the style of, yeah, Hayabusa, Mike Awesome, Tanaka, Kanemura, and not so much the Onita big star brawling style. It was more that, hey, we're going to have this hardcore, you know, we're going to have this hard style, style match, but we're going to have suplexes, high flying, and we just happen to have tables and chairs in there as well. So um, sure. I think that, that, that Hayabusa is really probably the cornerstone along with Tanaka, Kanemura, and also Sabu, Rob Van, Van Dam. I think that these guys are really the cornerstone of what we would now consider hardcore wrestling. Maybe not deathmatch wrestling, but definitely hardcore wrestling. And when we think about it, really, um, I know he gets a lot of shit in the press, but probably Sabu is the first one that really started doing it. Um, you know, even in FMW and early ECW and WWA and NWA, he started doing those crazy things, those 
tables, you know, did crazy wrestling, you know, and then Van Dam came in, and then Hayabusa obviously wrestled, his young boy wrestled Sabu and Sheik a couple times. He was very close to the two of them. He used to call Sheik the Papa Sheik. Uh, so definitely, I think Sabu really doesn't get the credit he should. And all these guys, like you said, Van Dam and these guys, but really, do you remember anyone like Sabu before there was Sabu? I mean, when I got into wrestling in 97, it was Sabu. You know, I remember my first time seeing Sabu was Sabu versus Flash Funk on Raw. And that was my first time seeing, uh, right. you know, and seeing him. And I remember, you know, turning to my aunt because I had just gotten into wrestling. It was, it was right around the time of the Hell in the Cell match. And I had just gotten into wrestling. And um, no, 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 it was Fall Brawl when they smashed Flair's, ca- Flair's head in the, the cage, right? And I was I was hooked as I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I thought it was real, man. You couldn't tell me that that wasn't real. That Ric Flair wasn't in the ICU somewhere. And um, <laughs> I go over to my aunt's house the next day because she was all into big time wrestling. She had just thousands, not thousands. She had dozens and dozens of VHS tapes, all of the WWF pay per views. I mean, she was huge. She she was to this day one of the biggest wrestling fans I ever knew. And. Um, I go over to her house the next day to watch Nitro because she was like, you know, Steve, tomorrow night is going to be a show where they're going to follow up for, from this. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I got to see it. So we're watching it, and 9 o'clock comes, and she turns to the WWF, and I'm like, what is this? And she goes, well, this is the other their, their company. And I'm like, there's two of them, you know? And then later that night, Sabu is wrestling Flash Funk, and he's putting him through a table and doing, and doing all of this stuff. And I'm like who is this guy? And, and and she's like, well, he's from a third league. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Are you kidding me? And EC and, and that weekend she taped ECW off of the Sunshine Network on the satellite. And it was, I think it was Sabu and Rob Van Dam beat Chris Candido and Lance Storm for the tag titles. And they were in Queens in that, that awesome building, the, the Elks Lodge. And yeah. I thought that Sabu was the greatest, re- you know, it was like, Okay, you know, Steve Austin, pretty good, pretty good. Shawn Michaels, pretty good. Ric Flair, okay. But that Sabu is putting guys through tables. Come on, man. He's like, he's got to be the best ever, right? So I think that Sabu, yeah, he's way up there for creating, like, you know, would we be seeing table spots nonstop the way we are now if it wasn't for Sabu and, and, and Hayabusa and all of these guys? So, yeah, definitely. You know, and, and the thing is... uh couple things on that uh you know the, the, the big thing on that is uh i really don't think there was anyone like sabu um at the time or before that and, and another thing is i don't want to i don't want to knock you but i was at the ecw arena and uh sabu and van damme beat candido and storm in the ecw arena in philly it was in june 27 1998 all right, well, let's look this up because I uh, – my, my 12-year-old day. memories – okay, hold on. RVD – okay, hold on. ECW That's tag okay. titles. I'll keep it going. Um, I'll talk about Sabu until then. Uh, first time <laughs> I saw Sabu was on tape trading. Um, there was a 93 match he had in Minnesota at a show called NWA Grand Slam with the Lightning Kid, Sean Baldwin. That was nuts. Uh, he was bloody – uh, the two of them just fought all over. Then I started getting these NWA Sabu tapes with uh, him and Benoit, 
him and Taz, him and Al Snow early on before ECW. Uh, John Anazi put out a tape that I was able to get my hands on. It was Sabu and Conan fighting to a double DQ on this show in New York City. And then he came in, you know, FMW. I actually discovered FMW before ECW. Well, I discovered FMW with Sabu before I discovered ECW with Sabu. And I always remember Sabu in Tri-State Wrestling. He appeared in one of the Battle Royals, too. And then, you know, the very first ECW TV show, not the first one, the first one I saw with him, where they brought him out in his stretcher, 911 was pushing him out, and he was taking on a Tasmania, and it's this crazy-ass match. But, uh, you know, I Sabu created a certain style and doesn't get the credit. Probably should be in every Hall of Fame. He might be an asshole sometimes. He goes on Twitter, he says things. But I've seen him live so many times, and I, uh, you know, one of my favorite wrestlers, uh, I think he created that genre. I can't think of anybody like Sabu before Sabu. So I've got breaking news. Your memory <laughs> is better than 12-year-old Steve. <laughs> and okay. it was in I Philadelphia. Was in crowd, so that's the only reason I, <laughs> I, uh, I had to correct it. Because I was in the crowd, I was thinking. I was like, I, I thought I was wrong for a minute. I was like, no, I was in. We were in. Because I went to more arena shows. I was only at the Elk Lodge twice. Yeah. And, uh. Oh. I'm kind of pissed now. I'm kind of mad. <laughs> oh well. Okay, you can say you can say Medeo, right? I remember yeah. when Sabu won the We all have our strengths and our weaknesses. Yeah. Mine is not pronunciation, but well, I'm so, pretty good sometimes. Remember shows I was at. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, one more. Um, <clears throat> one second. Uh, one more. Hold on one second. I'm sorry. One more note that I want to get to before we finish up is, um, um, okay, uh, on De on December 2nd, um, Stardom Idols launched. They had a five-on-four uh, match with uh, Onita in it. I don't have results from it, but I've seen photos and stuff. So it was Onita and his crew. Again, I don't have names for it. Maybe next week Bahu will get them to me. But um, uh, it was Onita's team versus Tarzan Yamamoto. Now, Tarzan Yamamoto is... 70 something 72 73 he came out dressed like a clown this dude looked like the skeleton from tales from the crypt um <laughs> is the best way i can think but they had barbed wire bats he took a pile driver through a table i mean just insane stuff but um that did happen um i don't have results from the stardom idols company i i'm guessing okay oh great great so if you want to read yeah. those for us just the yep, yeah saw most of the match on a secret website that I can't mention here that you know about. Gotcha. Um, Onita, Hasegawa, uh, Papandia, Raiden, and Tamako Hashimoto defeated Chainsaw Charlie, uh, Kim Duke. Chainsaw Charlie, too, shout out to my good friend Tony Myers, who we have to get on the show someday because he is like a plethora of knowledge of the ins and outs of Japan and all the different promotions. Uh, Kim Duke, obviously, legendary Kim Duke. Nasawa Rangai and the crazy-looking Joker Tarzan Yamoto. There's only one other match on the card, too. Uh, Kendo Kashin defeated Pandita and Tam Nakano. Then I guess the show, um, I'm guessing that they had a talk battle between Onita and Yamamoto as my guess to eat up the majority of the show. Um, in the clips that you saw, what did the attendance seem like? Um, maybe, uh, 250 people. That's pretty good. Yeah, I think the actual, I think they claimed 260. So I would say around 250, 240. Yeah. It was at Shin Kabita, the first ring. Yeah. Shin 
for spring in Tokyo. All right, cool. Well, all right. Um, yeah, um, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I'll get results for it, and we'll get up on the website. But I just kind of want to go over that. Um, it's 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 a it's a strange. Um, um, it's a strange company. I don't I don't know what it really is right now. You know, we kind of talked about it before. It's it's like Stardom's kind of B B league, if you want to put it that way. But they have Onita doing these. You know, it's it's a strange league to say the least. Yeah, I don't I don't think of Stardom and Onita in the same sentence very often. That's well, it's it's I, it's all it, about that woman Tam Nakano. Onita likes her. Onita likes sure. people who go into business for themselves. That and and that's why he likes you know you know Tremont. He likes these people, you know, he likes little Onitas, you know, so I can see the relationship there, and um, um, we'll see where it goes. Do you think we'll ever see Onita in H2O? A year ago, I would have said no, but man, Onita really gets off on the crowd, and the American crowd has given him what the Japanese crowd isn't, so I'm going to say 50-50. They just we'll announced too for CCW a five dollar donation or a toy for top, and they're going to have a meet and greet with Amida and all the CCW wrestlers before Cage of Death, and you can watch the Philadelphia Eagles game with all the wrestlers and Amida. See, that's so cool because you know I'm I'm doing all of these fan events in uh, Tokyo, so um, you know I'm doing the Freedom Fan the Freedoms Fan Fest on December twenty seventh. I'm going to see the Crazy Lovers Takeda and. Tsukamoto, they're going to do a Drinkathon Fan Fest December 29th. January or New Year's Eve at 1 in the morning, I'm going to a June Kasai Matt Wrestling Drinkathon where it, the advertising is basically that Kasai is going to get fucking blasted, so come and hang out. And then on, and then on January 1st, I'm going to a 666 fan event at a gay bar. So we'll see what that's going to be like. And then Onita's going to have a fan fest that I'm not going to go to on January 3rd. But these are awesome events, and I, I, I don't know why more companies don't do them. So I think that, you know, them having, hey, come then watch the, the game with the, the you know, the uh, the boys, it's going to do nothing but make people more more intimate with the company, I guess. I have so, a question. Uh, yeah, go ahead. You're done. I'm, same question I asked Bajo this week. Um, it's about Cage of Death. Do you, I think it's a weird matchup with Anita and Freeman against Masada and Hyde because Masada and Hyde both work pretty stiff. The big guys, obviously Masada has rotation. Do you see Onita in any possible way taking skewers to the head? No, I don't. Um, he, um, Onita doesn't like that. You know, like when when he was shooting with K- Kasai. There was only one time where he had light tubes smashed on him, and if you watch the the video, I always got the sense that he di- that um, Kasai just did it for his own benefit because he was right. like, "Look, this guy is not going to work with me, so I'm going to just take it from him." Because Onita looked annoyed and pissed and got up yeah, and left I, the fucking ring and everything. I so, saw the um, match. He looked happy. It didn't look planned. It didn't look planned. You know, the match ended, and Kasai just ran over and threw it on him and busted it on him, and he was laying on the ground after the pin, and it really felt like Kasai, you know, maybe I'm building a story that's not there, but it felt like Kasai saying, this feud's going nowhere, and I'm going to fucking break the, you know, and I'm going to get in my shit, so eat it, you know, is what it really looked like to me. Um, So so I don't, yeah, go on. No, go ahead. I mean, you don't think so. Bao didn't either, and I tend to agree, but... 
do you see Hyde taking most of the punishment? Because I don't see Masada letting anybody make Masada look like anything other than Masada. Well, you have Tremont there. So, you right. know, Hyde and Onida can... see a lot of Masada, Onida back and forth, I don't think. No, I mean, I think so. You know, I mean, uh, uh, Masada does a lot of that. You know, grab him, hold him down, uh, you know, fist um, fist scrape right. against the, the head. But, you know, Onida can't do much. Onida no, no, takes one, one bump a, a match, and it's usually yeah. he gives someone a, a stunner. So... I just don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, one thing that's going to come up is, have you heard, like, is is the Cage of Death event, are they going to have blood? Are they going to have barbed wire? Are they going to have glass? Like, do you, like, do you know? Heard. I haven't heard, but they're advertising a hardcore match. Um, I, I think that they worked out a deal where they're going to be able to do something more than they could have because, obviously, uh, Hardcore is going to House Hardcore is going to run a show that weekend too. We're actually having a fan event there, but there hasn't been a lot of shows there as of recent. A lot of places have kind of shied away, so so we'll see. I mean, I hope so because I'll be honest, I've enjoyed the last two CWW shows, and I'm kind of interested in this show. I kind of want to see it when it comes out. Um, they built up some angles for a little while at least. I mean, I, I think man, you know, MJF with a cool idea against Ricky Shane Page, but I like man's Warner better. Because I think they I can mean, put definitely. on a crazier match. Yeah. Uh, as a four-way, I'm interested in. Um, I'm interested in Onita. Like, I could see, like, Tremont taking a bunch of punishment. Maybe Onita makes a save with the exploding bat. You know? Makes a pin. Something along those lines. So, but I don't know for sure. The only way I'll say is I guess we'll see when it comes out. Yeah. I've heard nothing for sure. All right, cool. Um, speaking of which, Excuse me, sorry. Uh, speaking of which, MJF is going to be on the GCW Chicago show, so that's pretty sweet. Yes. Um, I want to cool. cover one quick thing before we do the VOW. Uh, one thing I forgot to talk about just real quick. Um, Blood Brothers Wrestling is, is presenting six shows. They've announced their first show. It's going to be in the L.A. area. They haven't got a home yet, but it's going to be announced soon. Uh, it's got a couple matches announced uh, more since last time. Uh, Tremont and Neil Diamond Cutter, uh, which I did talk about last time, first time ever. They've announced the Four Corners of Death match with B.C. Killer and Slack. Slack will be making his California return. Talent for the show, they've announced uh, Supreme. I don't know what Supreme's going to be doing, but they've announced him on the show. It doesn't say he's just going to be talking about, I don't know if he'll be wrestling. Uh, Homeless Jimmy, Aiden Blackheart, Michael Kruger, and then the Stoner Brothers from uh, Hood Slam, if anybody's familiar with them. So that's just something they've announced a little bit more. And that show is going to be in the Los Angeles area on February 23rd. It's going to be called Bleeding Hearts. All right. So um, let's see. So before we get into, so um, we're gonna have an interview with Matt Tremont at the end here. But um, I was able to watch a couple of the matches from the VOW. What was it called? Like barbed cage, something or other. What was it called? Uh, 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 I knew what it was too. Barbed something. Bear with me here. Yeah, it was this crazy cage. You know, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, it was like some lumber and some barbed wire and whatnot. <laughs> um, I'm trying to speak some filler. Behind barbs. Title. Behind barbs. That's what it was. It could so, have been, yeah, behind barbs. Yeah, so um, I only right. saw the last three barbs. matches. Yeah, I only saw the last three matches. I know that you kind of skimmed through the show. Um, 
So um, I just kind of want to talk about it a little bit. They the match the matches I saw they had um, shit. Now I got to get the damn card up because uh, I forget it was like Devin, um, not Devin Moore, Josh Crane's brother. I forget his name. What was it? Josh Crane's brother. Dale Patrick. Dale, Dale Patrick. They're not yeah. brothers. Oh, I thought they were brothers. Okay, that's okay. No, they're not brothers. So they had uh, best friend. Oh, okay, cool. So they had Dale Patrick versus John Wayne Murdoch um, for the VOW title. Um, you know, this I'm 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 gonna be really honest with these reviews. Um, I thought the match was okay, not great. Um, a couple things about VOW that I'm gonna say right off the bat. Um, atmosphere adds so much. Like I was watching this and I was like, what is what is not clicking with this? When they used to be in that fog, you know, they used to be in this arena that was kind of small. The fans were right up against the ring, and it just felt really wild. And now they're in this big gym, and it's in North Carolina, I believe, right? I'm sorry, West Virginia. And, um, man, I'm going to say this in the nicest way possible. A lot of toothless faces in the crowd, a lot of big beer bellies hanging out. Um, everyone just just sitting in the stands with like blank stares. Nobody really popping, you know. The crowd just was really dead for the whole show. Um, the gimmicks they were using, I think what was happening was they were using light bulbs that weren't burnt out because what happens is the light bulbs that you use generally are burnt out and the glass is weaker. So when you right. break the, you know, so it shatters into a million pieces. When they're not burnt out. They tend to just break in half, and you have big chunks, and you don't get that big explosion, you know, that you really want. And um, so during the Dale Patrick John Wayne Murdoch match, they were really just kind of walking around setting up uh, bumps, is what it felt like. It just didn't feel like it ever had any momentum, and they had some glass panes. Then during the match, um, uh, this woman, um, oh Madison Riley, I think was her name. Riley, yeah. Riley okay, Madison. cool. Sexy little girl. So she comes out with Marcus Crane, and they do an angle where Marcus Crane and them, they beat up uh, Dale Patrick's, right? But as a match, it just wasn't really anything, to be completely honest. Um, Oren Vett, uh, he defeated Matt Matt Tremont in a big upset. Again, it was a really short match, maybe eight minutes, and half of it was in the crowd. Um, again, the light bulbs are just... They have these big 10- or 12-foot uh, light bulbs, and they're just... They're either not breaking or they're just kind of breaking with, like, no explosion, no glass flying. It was just kind of like a – it just didn't catch me. I'm just, you know, I'm being really blunt, you know. But um, after the match, you know, uh, Vet pins Matt Tremont. Again, really short, short match. Tremont does an Ian Rotten-type spe- speech saying you're the future of death, Matt, you know, of, of, of this style and stuff. But the match just wasn't really anything to write home about, and I was really excited when the match was uh, announced, but I think that, you know, Matt Tremont, um, he saves himself, you know? He doesn't want to put in the full Monty for every every single match, so maybe that was the case here. Uh, The main event was the four-way behind Barbs. They had this cage. Now, when I thought... when, When they announced the cage... I was thinking it was going to be four poles on the outside and they would create a barbed wire fence. And instead what it was was these two-by-four sections and they strung barbed wire between it. And it just looked like shit. You know, there's no way uh, there, 
There's no other way to say it. It looked terrible, and it was falling apart the whole time, and the fans are holding it up and everything. And um, it was uh, Schlack, uh, Casanova Valentine, Jeff Cannonball, and Marcus Crane. A lot of inter- you know, interesting spots. They, they obviously planned a lot. It, it, was a, it, it, it was a constant series of three-on-one spots. They had these giant 10-foot light tube crosses, and they would have all of these different spots where you know two guys would hold it, and the third guy would do something to break it on the fourth guy. Um, as a match, it was pretty cool. Nothing mind blowing, you know. Kind of clunky, kind of cl- you know, kind of clusterfucky w- uh, 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 when you have that many guys in such a, a small area. But there were just all these kayfabe moments where, like, Marcus Crane gets the bolt cutter. So the idea of the the match is you have to get the wire cutters, cut open the cage, and then you have to walk out of the cage to win. Well, like five minutes in, Marcus Crane cuts off a hole. Of, first of all, you can walk out of this cage at any moment. Like, there, it, the barbed wire is not strung tight or anything. Marcus Crane, he cuts open one side of the barbed wire, and then he gets uh, attacked, and for the next ten minutes of the match, nobody even tries to walk out this open section. And the finish is Marcus Crane and Schlack, they take a suplex, they suplex each other through the side of the cage, and it's announced that Schlack is the winner. Um, so that's my reviews of the three matches. I wouldn't say any of them are really great. Do you have anything that you want to add to it? Um, on a positive note, the camera work was much better than previous shows. Um, after LOA, which I still haven't finished this year because the camera work makes me feel like I'm on a boat, uh, the camera work is much better. So Smart Mark was there, so it's definitely a, a step in the future. I felt like the gimmicks were really missing this show. I felt like maybe, you know, they didn't, they spent a lot on LOA and this was kind of a, a foobar thing. But really, the, the cage was, like Steven said, was not very impressive. Um, I could probably done something in my back better. Um, but obviously it was a quick thrown together thing. Uh, the fans hand out the weapons match it was a weird match. I enjoyed a tag match with Borden and Raver and Hooligans, but uh, it was kind of a strange gimmick. Uh, I do think Cash Borden is a guy who's going to break out like Orrin Vedder too. I think people should keep an eye on him. Uh, I wish Orrin and Matt would have been longer. Uh, definitely was way too short. Probably one of these 14-15 minute match. I mean, it's some big bumps, uh, definitely. Uh, but it's a lot to have. Three big houses and Marcus Crane in one ring and the barbed wire. Uh, it's a lot to get that match pulled off. Uh, I, I think uh, they could have done better with the cage. Uh, overall, I haven't watched the whole show, so I won't give it a rating. rating. Um, I'm not super impressed with what I did see. Um, I like the camera work. I have really liked some of their past shows. Um, I think camera work is really the biggest thing. Uh, they got that in. The, the shows can get better. Maybe this was too close to LOA. I kind of felt like the match was uh, lack, or the card was lacking on good gimmicks. Very gimmick. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're um, they're. There's all of these ways. It's like when when I when IWA Mid South when they would run like the series of glass match, and it would be like mirrors. Mirrors are a terrible gimmick. They don't shatter. You you don't get you know deathmatch wrestling isn't about seeing people actually get injured. It's about the explosion and the wow and like the fear factor and stuff. And a lot of the matches or I'm sorry, a lot of the the gimmicks on this show like you know the the panes of glass that they would use. They weren't like that tempered pane of glass where it flies into 5,000 pieces and shoots all, you know, all over. It was like those panes of glass that would just kind of, you know, break in half or something. You know, they didn't, 
the light tubes were, I don't know where they got them from, but they weren't burnt out. Those 10-foot light tubes are never good to use anyway. Um, I really like VOW. You know, they're in a, an, an area that doesn't get a, a lot of this kind of stuff. But I think, you know, uh, last, you know, when they were in that, that old building, I just think that it was a better atmosphere. They had a better crowd maybe or whatever. But, um... You know, there was a picture I sent to someone from this show, and it was like, this is so mean-sounding, but in the background, it's like, you know, the people of Walmart, you know, just these bored, toothless hillbillies, I guess is the best way I, I can think to put it, just kind of like sleeping on the show. You know, the crowd reaction is really bad. I don't know what it is, but these past couple of VOW shows, it feels like they're not... They're not on an upward swing for whatever reason. Maybe they maybe they burnt out the crowd. Maybe they just burnt out. You know, it's the same guys, and um, right. I, like I don't to know. Put a special disclaimer out to the state of West Virginia. I think you're a beautiful state. Uh, when you decided to hunt down Stephen for calling you toothless, <laughs> I I think you're a wonderful state. Come and get me. <laughs> Come and get me, baby. I don't care. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it definitely a. Uh, what did you think of the camera work? We can be positive on that, right? Much better oh, camera I, I th work. Well, okay, so I want to say one thing really positive. So, yeah, the camera work was great. The announcing was actually some of the best announcing I've heard in a long, long time because – so one thing we didn't talk about was at the end of the Cage of Death match, <clears throat> um, you know, uh, Marcus Crane and Schlack, they go outside of the cage, and then they wind up back in the ring, and they, they kind of start brawling a little bit. And then um, John Wayne Murdoch and Riley Madison come out, and they start beating on Schlack, right? And then uh, G. Raver comes out to make the save. And you, you get this kind of four-way tag brawl, right? And it's it was really cool. And the crowd is kind of into it and stuff. And then G. Raver turns on him. And you wind up with this, you know, and they beat down Schlack with chairs and light tubes and all of this. So the one thing I want to say, by the end of this angle, I want to see next month. I want to see the monster Schlack get his revenge on these fucking four assholes and I want to see him throw this woman through the barbed wire cage and I want to see him throw <laughs> G-Raver off of the building and all of that stuff. Um, it's he really simple. Throw a barbed wire cage. That's awesome. Yeah, cause oh. it could be, because the way they do it, she's like the mastermind, right? So, of course, in the end, right. she's got to get hers, right? And um, Perhaps they I, could take a out of GTU and they could do a naked death match with Riley and Schlack. I would not be opposed to that. Um, I think Maria Manic might, but I would not be opposed to that. So, or maybe Maria Manic will come in and we'll get a tag match or something. Maybe, maybe Maria and Riley. How's that? Get Slack out of there. I would love that. He, he's going to cancel our interview next week when he listens to this week. We love you, Slack. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Slack, um, Slack. There's no God, only Slack. Only Slack. I mean, and we always say it. Slack is a throwback guy. You know, I mean, he is like a throwback character yeah. from like 1991 or something. And um, it, it's weird just because there's so few angles and feuds on these deathmatch shows, just that little stupid angle got me into it. And I was like, fuck, I want to see Schlack run yeah. through the gauntlet and kill these guys now. I agree. The only thing I hope and pray is they don't ever make a War Games barbed wire two by four duct <laughs> <laughs> yeah. cage. That's two places wide. That's my only hope. Because I love VOW. Um, I love uh, LOA3. I love the uh, you know, Zero Fucks Given show. Blood 
uh, camo work, fixing the camo work's the biggest thing. Uh, like I said, gimmick-wise, this is right after VOW. It wasn't a horrible show. This wasn't fantastic. Um, and there was cool things about it. And, and being able to watch it was the most important thing. I was so happy about that outfit. I'll, I'll end up watching the full show probably tomorrow because it's just been a crazy week. But, uh, yeah, Bill Mono is a really cool guy. I was actually talking to Bill last week. Uh, really cool guy. I like what they're doing out there. And I like that they constantly bring in new talent, too. You, know, you never get dry with the same people. They're constantly bringing in different people and different talent. It's kind of cool. Um, as much as we love our GCW people who we see every month, and we do, it's cool to have a promotion like that that kind of interchanges people, you know. But definitely it did set up a, a something for the future. So we have a little faction. Maybe we'll see who Slack brings in, and maybe they'll have some kind of craziness. I mean, you can have good multiple purple death matches. I mean, look at that hooligan six-man tag team match that tore the fucking building down. A few shows back. Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Looked like they're in Kandahar. Hello? Sorry about that. My mic was muted. Um, yeah, I, oh, I oh, love oh. that match. One of my favorites of the year, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you can still have those crazy matches. Like, I remember, uh, you know, I was just watching these two matches, but I, there were three, really. Well, four is when it counted. And, and CZW ran a feud with uh, Justice Payne and Nick Gage against the tough crazy bastards, and they tore the fucking CGW arena down. The first match, it was a false count anywhere. Uh, Payne ended up winning, uh, but they were out in the balcony. They, they threw Justice Payne off the fucking balcony. Second match with the fans bringing the weapon. Uh, the bastards won the tag titles when Sandy came out and attacked them, and everybody in the world came out and attacked them. Uh, third match they did, Justice Payne hit a fan on the way to the ring. It was an angle. He didn't want to do a shattered glass match. He became a pussy. So they brought out J.C. Bailey, and then it was J.C. Bailey and Nick Gage against the, the fucking tough, crazy bastards. And all these matches were amazing, bloody, beat them up. And they all, everyone was out light tubes, and they really were good matches. Then it built up to one of my favorite Cage's deaths that year. It was a tough, crazy bastard and Joker against Zandig and the Hate Club. Uh, you know, the ending was that crazy jump, Zandig taking Joker off and the MF and bomb through a fucking flaming glass barbed wire table. Absolutely. You okay Definitely. over there? I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Sounds like you're in trouble. Um, no, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I support VOW. I, obviously, the owner's a really great guy. I think it's great to have new stuff. And, you know, I think VOW is actually where G. Raver really got a lot of experience and turned into who, you know, the wrestler that he is now and stuff. So, um, I, I would like to see a different building. I hate to keep harping on it, but it just looks so shindy to be in this big, crazy... You know, I prefer, if you're only going to draw two or 300 people... Get them packed in. Get them crowded. Get them against that that ring. Keep them wild. Don't just have people with their, you know, with their underbellies hanging out from their shirts, walking around the ring, picking the, their 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 nose and stuff. You know. Um, Again, West Virginia, you're a beautiful state. <laughs> and I really Never been there. Enjoy driving through your mountains. When you come to Flint, Stephen, it wasn't me. <laughs> uh, they gotta well, have yeah. passports to find me. <laughs> Never. Yeah. Yeah, part of it probably too is it's probably hard. They have a hard time finding a building in West Virginia. So obviously, they, the other building they kind of got kicked out of, and uh, they had a hard time finding this building. So there obviously, probably isn't as many choices in like a bigger area. You know, it's very rural where they are. Very, very rural. 
All right. Um, so with that, that's all we got. Um, now, Mike, you sat down and you did a, an hour or so interview with Matt Tremont that we're going to throw to. Uh, let us know, like, what did uh, what did you guys talk about here? Well, you know, we talked about H2O, um, him forming a promotion, the day-to-day things of how you keep a promotion run. Obviously, it's different from there, from booking an OPW. Uh, we talked about uh, you know, Nita and CCW at the time. Uh, he didn't confirm or deny. It's kind of like one of those wink-wink, I might be in Philly the 10th on a Sunday night things. Obviously, we, we find out he did. There's a lot of good things on how he promotes and what he wants to do with H2O. Um what he's been happy with, what he's most proud of promoting so far, the challenges of being a promoter and, and doing everything. So it was a really informative interview. We like to hear about how someone starts a wrestling, a hardcore deathmatch promotion, and really what he wanted to be known for. And it's kind of like something that me and you always talk about, a throwback like that old Mensa thing. And, you know, me and him talked about that. And I've always said that. You said that. He has the fuse. He wants to build a fuse. He's kind of got that old Mensa feel to it. And that's exactly what he said, too. So it was a really, really cool interview. It was great to get him. He's a super busy guy. Um, again, I, I want to say, uh, I know I said last episode, but I know his wife has been doing better, but I want to send my prayers out to Matt Tremont and his wife, Christy. Uh, she does a lot of things for H2O, and he's a really humble, nice guy. You know, you never hear bad things from the fans or anybody about him. So my prayers for them and her sickness, and I hope with the holidays that she's doing better, and I hope that, uh, you know, their, their family is, uh, you know, I pray for them and their wellness and, and best wishes to them. All right. So with that, we will see you guys next time. Uh, thank you for listening to Deathmatch News Radio. Don't forget to check out the other shows that are on the, the, uh, the Wrestling Cult Network. And thank you for listening. So I'm going to start out with some uh, questions. Um, I'm going to start out with some H2O questions. Um, when did you realize you wanted to start your own promotion? Uh, probably about 2000, early 2016, I came up with the concept of H2O and the name and kind of the formula and what I wanted to do. And at, and at that same time, I was still uh, working and promoting uh, All Point Wrestling. Uh, myself and Jeffrey Kane uh, started OPW together in 2013, and it was always a joint venture. But at the end of the day, it was his baby. He came up with the OPW name and the concept, and it was his company at the end of the day. Um, he, you know, he was the, the, the day-to-day owner. I was the promoter, and I was pretty much doing all the legwork. Um, but about three years in, 2016, and, you know, started to get the itch to, you know, start something on my own and, you know, you know to have my own baby and to, you know, grow and mold something and to, uh, you know, put forth my vision uh, professional wrestling, you know, the best I could, you know, to the forefront. So I believe the, our debut show was June of 2016. Uh, it was all a dream. The show was titled, and it really was. It was a dream of mine to, you know, start my own promotion by myself. Uh, you know, my vision, my, my name, colors, and just have my fingerprints all over it. Uh, so yeah, June 2016 was the, was the debut event of the, Hardcore Hustle organization at the Woodbury Heights Community Center, headlined by Shane Douglas versus Eddie Kingston, myself versus Kevin Sullivan. It's been a really great card with a lot of great talent. And, uh, you know, now almost two and a half years later, we're, uh, you know, we're rocking and rolling. Definitely, definitely. Um, can you uh, just kind of explain to uh, our, uh, our fans and whatnot 
just how difficult it was just to find a building uh, for, for, for deathmatch wrestling and hardcore wrestling. Obviously, it's got to be more challenging than uh, for your normal mom-and-pop wrestling promotion. It, it's definitely a challenge, especially in the state of New Jersey, where it's really not, you know, regulated and, and really legal to, you know, really do that stuff because of the, you know, the, the rules and regulations put forth by uh, Governor Christy Todd Whitman uh, but back in, like, the late 90s. So, it's, you know, it's always kind of been found upon in the state of New Jersey. Uh, within the last, I would say, two to three years, it's, it's, I mean, there's still all laws and, you know, regulations, but they've, you know, kind of been lackadaisical, and as long as you, you know, promote it a certain way and are safe and are keeping the fans safe, because uh, really basically that will, that's really all what it comes down to is the, the safety of the paying patrons uh, that come to a live event, uh, you know, of, of such magnitude and, and violence, uh, you know, so on and so forth. So it, it definitely is a struggle. Uh, but my mindset going into, especially the, you know, early infancy of H2O, uh, was really not to, you know, I never wanted it to be a deathmatch company per se, uh, really tone down the violence and do a little bit more hardcore and put more emphasis on storylines and angles and characters and building up, building up the violence and making it mean something and build up to a big blow off. You know, guys feud for six months and then it, you know, it blows off to, uh, a no rope worldwide match or a cage match. You know, so, something along that magnitude. And, and really that was the goal and still is the goal, you know, with what we do today. Um, as far as the, you know, day to day formula of, of, of the booking and stuff, but, you know, back to, you know, finding a venue. It's definitely tough. Um, you know, I'm able to do more now because I have my own venue uh, that I own and run and operate and, you know, do business out of almost every every day now. Uh, so that definitely makes things a lot easier, and I don't have the challenges like I used to in the, in the infancy of the company, trying to find a building, uh, you know, renting a truck, renting a ring, you know, getting all this stuff to one venue and then worrying about, all right, hey, this is what we can get away with in this venue, you know, so on and so forth. So it, it's a lot easier now that we've moved into our own facility. Awesome. Yeah, I, d- I just want to point that thing out. So that's one thing I love about HBO, HBO H2O, um, is the storylines and the fact that you build up to the feuds. I mean, you do have your, your off shows where you do just the violence for violence, but you, on your main shows, you know, you build these feuds up for so long, you know, and then you cap them off, and it's month to month. It's, it's kind of like an old territory. I, I like that, you know, the old Memphis kind of territory or Texas where they build the feuds up and, and get the fans vested into it. So I think that's obviously great, and it kind of shows what kind of wrestling fan you are. I think you missed that too, you know, the feuds. You don't see them. Some promotions just have, you know, the violence every month, and there's no long feuds, and that takes away. Like, you know, the great feud you had with Nick Gage last year over the course of three matches and almost a whole year, you know, it was great. Most definitely. No, 100%. 100%. I mean, you can tell in a lot of my booking is very Memphis, very world-class. I mean, I, I'm an old-school wrestling fan at heart, so, you, I, you know, I watch a lot, a lot of world-class, Mid-South, Memphis, uh, you know, early CZW or, you know, ECW. So, like, you know, take a little bit of everything that I watched growing up and put it all in big one pot. Um, but, you know, as a fan myself, you know, I was more invested growing up in the angles and the storyline and something that was built up for a long time, and then, you, you know, you build into a big blow-off match. And I was more emotionally invested as a kid and a teenager and as a fan growing up into those long-term programs 
that really, you know, had you invested, it meant something, and then the, you know, the payoff in the end, you know, really meant something, and somebody got something out of it in some way, shape, or form, um, and that's, you know, really been, I think it is the one thing that helps us, you know, as far as H2O goes as a promotion in the area, and I think as in general in the Indies now, because most promotions is just you know, dream matches and, you know, kind of just, you know, matches for the sake of matches. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy the storytelling aspect of everything, and I think it definitely shows off in the H2O product. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what's the history of the H2O arena, and, uh, you know, what was the process of acquiring that building? Uh, originally, it was the OTW uh, arena, the old-time wrestling arena, that was run by Jim Molino, former ECW referee. He started up OTW uh, probably about eight years ago, and they, they were a branch off the original Monster Factory. Once those two promotions split and OTW went on its own, they wound up moving to Williamstown. And since, two, I would say since 2012, 2013, that was their venue that I'm currently running out of. And in 20, I would say 2014, um, is when myself and Jeff Kane started to rent the venue out every other month, and we ran all, we ran all point wrestling there. So I've, I've built up a long, you know long term relationship with Jim, you know over the years, and then OPW wound up moving out of the building, and then H two O at the time was you know pretty much still a part time company. Uh, in the infancy of the promotion, I never had any plans of actually turning it into a full time promotion. Uh, even up until this year, we were still running one show every other month. Uh, and then uh, Jim contacted me very late on a Monday morning and uh, informed me that you know you know business was slow and you know you know he was trying to wind down his career as a promoter and he was you know you know his lease was coming up at the end of the year and uh, you know he he presented he presented all that to me. And you know, getting the opportunity to move in the venue. Uh, at this point, H2O is you know pretty much established in the venue. We ran a few shows there, um, and no other promotions were running there at the point. So you know, Jim said, hey, you know, Matt, if you can you know get everything together logistically and financially, uh, you know, the building is yours. So you know, I got in contact with the with the landlord, and you know, got a lot of money together that I didn't have, but we, I made it happen. Sold a lot of like personal belongings and did whatever I could to get the money together uh, to move into the venue because, um, you know, I've been promoting that venue since 2014, you know, so I'm established there. I have a lot of history there and a lot of, you know, the, the fans were comfortable there. They know how to get there. So, it was, you know, it, it was an established venue that I wanted to stay at and call home permanently. Uh, so the first week of this past July is when we moved in, and, you know, we've been rocking and rolling since then. And but that's the point that I look at the company uh, pretty much where we changed, you know, business strategy and, and, and how we do business because the first half of 2018, you know, we were still running every other month. We ran three shows in the first six months this year. And then once we moved into the building, you know, obviously we're able to run a lot more and, and do a lot do a lot more things. So I, I look at once we moved into the building in July is when we came a, became a full-time promotion, and it's, a you know, another full-time job on my plate. Uh, you know, like I said, we ran three events the first half of the year. And by the end of the year, uh, you know, by the time we get to our Christmas show in December, we, we will have run 12 events in six months compared to three events in the first six months of the year. 
Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's been a huge undertaking, but it's definitely something I saw when the opportunity presented itself. Uh, it's definitely something I wanted to do because I knew this was a vital part uh, in the growth of his promotion going forward. Awesome. And it's great that you put on such diverse shows. You know, you just launched the Women's League. Uh, you do the Opportunity Knock shows where you bring in new talents. Uh, you do the Subterranean Violence shows. Uh, you just did the, uh, the Death Match of Stabaganza. And you have your annual shows. Uh, you know, you do your Hustle Mania and you do your Hardcore Christmas. So that's great. Um, when people think of H2O, what do you want them to immediately anticipate and envision? I think uh, a big thing that I say is before before you even look at the company as far as the wrestling product, when our fans walk through those doors, and by the time they walk you know, back through those doors to exit the building after the show's over, I just want to create a safe and fun atmosphere uh, for everybody. So every, everybody knows, even, even when we have rentals, uh, when other promotions run the building, um, you know, I, I, I strive very hard to create just a good, you know, good, fun, um, safe atmosphere, you know, for not only for the wrestlers but for the fans. And so everybody can enjoy themselves and they have a good time. So they know when they come to the H2O Wrestling Center at the Kevin Hogan Memorial Hall, um, they know they're, you know, they're, they're coming there for quality wrestling and, they're, you know, they're, they're safe and they're going to have a good time. And then as far as the wrestling product, man, I, I, I think – you know, I, I want them coming in and leaving at the end of the day, obviously getting their money's worth, um, because I, I say it every before every show uh, through my pre-match, you know, pre-show announcements, and I, I continue to remind the fans that we strive, thrive, and survive uh, because of that $20, but because of that GA ticket, because of that front row ticket. And, and we truly do. It. It's, it's how we survive. And, you know, without the fans, you know, and, and they're – financial and emotional investment into the company, um, there would be no H2O. Um, so, you know, you know, I, I can't thank, you know, the, the diehard fan base, you know, that, that I'm, you know, thankful that we have every show because without them, you know, we have nothing. And then as far as the, you know, wrestling products, I, I think when they, when, they, when they come to H2O, uh, they know they're going to get a diverse product. They're going to get a little bit of everything. Uh, it's going to be, you know, the, our events are, you know, a, a wrestling buffet heard the you know, cliche term before, uh, and, but at that buffet, you're going to get a little bit of everything. You get, you get your high-flying, your hard-hitting, your hardcore, and some great wrestling all mixed in the one. And if you leave at the end of the show, now when you got your money's worth and you enjoy your time for the, you know, however many hours, you know, you're in there, um, you know, as a, as a business person, you know, trying to put forth the product for, continue to, for people to continue to come back and be regular customers, you know, that's all I can ask for. Well, you're doing a great job uh, so far. Like I said, it's amazing shows, and I just love the, the feel of the promotion. As, as a promoter and as a fan, what you've obviously been booking now for a couple of years. What is, I guess, if I was brand new to H2O, what's the one match you tell me to go to that you're most proud of promoting and, and seeing on your different cards so far? Where would you start me out? Yes, great question. I think. Um... I can ask before, like, what show, but not a particular match. Even a couple of um, I mean, where would you start me out? Well, a couple, two, three matches. What am I going to watch? How would you how would you hook me on H2O, do you think, from something that you're really proud of? I think uh, I think it's, 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 as far as the hardcore would go, um, you know, if they're looking for, you know, if there's just a general fan and they enjoy hardcore wrestling, but nothing, not, not over-the-top deathmatch stuff, 
I would definitely show them Jimmy Lloyd uh, versus Alex Cologne from our one-year anniversary show uh, last year. And, you know, a couple other matches that come to mind off the top of my head, I would, um, you know, if they like the intergender stuff with a little bit of blood but nothing too crazy, I would definitely show them Slack versus Maria Maddox from last year's Christmas show. Um, and I think even as, even as stuff is, as close as this year, um, you know, out in, if you're looking just for a good wrestling story uh, that was very technical and back and forth, I would show them Alex Cologne uh, versus Arrow Boy. Um, and, and, and really anything with Ron Mathis, you know, there's a, there's a reason he's, you know, been a champion uh, since June. And one, he's a great heel, great storyteller, and he, he can honestly really have, just have a great match with anybody. Uh, the match he had with Maria Maddox at the opening day of that was great. Um, and then, man, anything with Stockade, G. Razor, Cannonball, you know, here, a lot of our homegrown guys. Um, and, you know, I know if anybody asks, you know, I can show them, you know, one of their matches, and it will definitely, you know, personify, you know, really what, what H2O is all about. And as far as, like, shows overall, I mean, just as far as uh, top to bottom, just a great show. And then just as far as uh, myself as the booker and, you know, what I put to paper just comes to life and really comes to fruition. Uh, uh, last year's Christmas Classic 2, uh, top to bottom, is one of my favorite events. Um, Hustle Mania from, from this year. And I think even just as recently as the, the, the Deathmatch Extravaganza show, that was something different, uh, you know, from our normal, you know, live events, uh, but just the atmosphere on the show, uh, you know, giving you the death matches and still giving you some regular matches on the show. I think top to bottom, that, that would be one show like, hey, check out this DVD. You know, this is what H2O is all about. Awesome. Definitely. All, all those are, are uh, you can't go wrong. Uh, Slack and Maria was, was great. Uh, Arrowboy and Cologne was great. Uh, you don't put on bad cards. And like you said about Ron Mathis, I would suggest, you know, I think he's kind of an underrated guy. He's been around for a while. I would tell people to go back to 2013 and watch the finals of the Night of Cycles tournament between you and him because I think that's an underground gem that people don't see that is, it was a really great match. Uh, in a really, really great match. So hopefully maybe someday in H2O we'll see Tremont and Matthews, uh, Mathis again. But it was definitely a good match for fans to go and check out. Uh, one of your uh, one of your early gems. <laughs> um, no, thank you. Uh, you. You had it advertised a little bit, but I haven't heard too much about it. Uh, can you tell me, whatever you can tell me, about the next Rub Train Name Violence Show, the King of the Underground Tournament, I believe? Yeah, man. Um, I mean, as far as like, you know, when the concept came to me, it wasn't a, you know, groundbreaking rocket science concept. It was pretty much uh, the Beyond Wrestling style studio tapings mixed with the original CZW Ultra Von Underground. Put those two concepts together, and then we have subterranean violence. Um, and it was something I really wanted to do because. And that was different from our usual live events because, like I said, I've wanted to dumb down the violence and, and do hardcore with storytelling. And then we can have these whole separate platforms to just give you, to give the diehard deathmatch fans violence for the sake of violence. And, that, and that's what the subterranean violence concept, you know, pretty much is. And the, the first three volumes that we had, um, you know, one, the, you know, one of our best-selling DVDs and downloads, it's a, it's a fun, laid-back day, 
and uh, you know the, the 50 to 60 to 75 people that we invite to come to those shows, man, they, they really enjoy them. And it's probably the show I get asked about the most is, you know, when's the next subterranean? When's the next one going to be? So, uh, the you know, the first three went great, and it was pretty much just matches for the sake of matches. So volume four, I kind of wanted to, you know, be the first one to give a concept to. So I figured, I, you know, people love that to my tournaments. They love the subterranean underground feel. You know, volume four, king of the underground. Um, you know, let's do, let's do a tournament. Uh, my goal was to try to do it in December. You know, run two. Uh, my my original goal was a doubleheader weekend. We, uh, we'll, we would run our Christmas show, and then Subterranean the, the day before, the day after. But things just didn't work out with town and dates and stuff like that. Uh, so a, as of right now, I'm I'm hoping to do Sub Four King of the Underground in either January or February, March at the latest, and it will 100% just you know same thing. You know, so, oh, underground style. Uh, probably, I, I would say, an eight-man tournament, you know, single elimination tournament. And, you know, you'll be the team of the underground. And I think, you know, we'll also put something else on the line, like, you know, the winner gets a spot in Hardcore Kingdom a few months later. Um, but, no, yeah, they're a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we did, I believe we did uh, three this year um, overall. So, you know, it's definitely my plan next year to probably at least do three to four more. And I, I would say the next couple volumes – will definitely be different concepts. You know, one could be all tag team death matches. Uh, one could be one could be a women's underground. Uh, one could be um, an intergender one. So there's a lot of, you know, creative, um, you know, different things we can do with, with the subterranean platform that we'll be able to do next year for sure. That's awesome. And I love that you, you showcase new talent on them. And, and really, uh, you know, people that can break out and become stars. Uh, so it's really cool that you do that. Obviously, on the on the first show, you kind of showcased uh, Aiden Ball and Dan Sullivan, and they've went uh, to be, uh, you know, consummate members of your promotion, uh, you know, and you've showcased different people on the different shows. So I think it's really cool that you do that, uh, and you give these people a, a platform to be seen. Uh, and, you know, and obviously build up stars. I mean, that's about what it is. You can build up people. Uh, I know on your last show, Logan Black really was impressive. You know, when you told him down the road he'll have a spot, you know, you brought Brad Cash in. So it's really cool that you brought, you know, you brought Mouse in the second show. So you, you bring in these people uh, that we don't always see, but that you give them that showcase to uh, kind of shine and, uh, you know, build themselves up. So that's awesome. And I'm really super forward to that tournament and definitely down the road, like you said, tag teams and things like that. That would be really awesome. Because there's a lot of good tag teams out there now. And I, and I, I have talked to, you know, Bill Molnar. I've interviewed him. I've interviewed, Brad, I've interviewed lots of different promoters. And I've often said that I'm amazed that no one does a tag tournament. I know it's a lot of semantics to it, but there's so many good deathmatch tag teams right now. And uh, really deathmatch is kind of in a golden era right now. There's so much amazing talent and there's so much amazing new talent. As a wrestler, and every you travel and you see you work a lot of different promotions. I know you're going to be in California in uh, January or February, which is going to be awesome. You and Neil Cutter is going to tear the building down. Another guy that's super underrated. Um, who do, who do you think is going to be the next big breakout deathmatch stars? Guys that you work with or guys that you've seen at shows? Who should we keep our eye on? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, like you said, the the, the talent pool right now, as far as the as far as the deathmatch genre goes, there, there's so many, you know, guys finally getting a chance to shine and just taking, you know, the, that proverbial brass ring and really running with it. 
Um, and they're just getting opportunities and finally, you know, showcasing, I think, what a lot of people knew they could do, and now they're just finally doing it. Uh, perfect example, like you said, Aiden Bale and Van Sullivan, and they've just scratched the sh- surface as far as hardcore and deathmatch stuff is. And, I, you, know, we, you know, we found diamonds in the rough, you know, when they did that first subterranean, and they were the standouts, and, you know, they shoot legit, earn the job, you know, on the fly that night, and they've been booked ever since. And now they're, you know, been tag team champions since, since April. Um, you know, so, yeah, guys like them, uh, I, I think once – I really think those two are, you know, it, once they start doing a little bit more, um, I, I think that those two will really stand out. Because not only, not only can they – are they down to do the violence, they can work and they can actually wrestle. And they have great character and just good attitude. So, I, I, I think, you know – they, like I said, they, they've only scratched the surface of what they can do as a tag team and, and, and in singles competition. So I think the I think the, the two guys to watch in 2019, um, as far as like you know H2O guys, uh, would be Aiden Ball and Van Sullivan, and I would throw Malcolm there too, man, as well. And then as, as the other guys were starting to see really branch out, um, you know, guys that I've always been a fan of and that have worked with are, are guys like Gail Patrick. Um, you know, he's, you know, done some big things this year, won tournaments and, and, and championships. So he's definitely getting his name out there. And I've always been a fan of his work. And, you know, and then just the, the, the consistency of a lot of guys. Now, your, your Marcus Cranes, your G Ravers, your Alice Collins, your Eric Ryan. These guys are on fire right now and are really putting in the work and giving you quality deathmatch wrestling. Absolutely. Speaking of Eric Ryan, I'm so excited to be seeing uh, you and him in GCW. Boy, that's going to be a great match because uh, he is a guy who, you know, goes balls out and really uh, performs, and and he wrestles too, which is great. Um, the, the form of deathmatch wrestling now we have these hybrid wrestlers that go in and wrestle. We don't just see people smashing light tubes over each other's heads. We see people telling stories and having these great strong style hybrid wrestling matches. So it's just such a great thing. Uh, because it, you know, you can only watch a bunch of big fellas smash balls over their heads for so long, you know, and it had its place. But now it's just such a great combination because these guys can go out and wrestle these great styles, you know, yourself included, and uh, and put on no, I, matches. I, I agree, hundred and ten percent. Um, you left the CZW earlier this year. I'm just curious, why did you choose Dan O'Hare as your final opponent? Um, multiple reasons. Um, Dan has been there. I, I would say I think he started training in 2013, and just uh, you know, for personal reasons, you know, um, you know, which means a lot to me. You know, Dan would attend CZW shows as a fan, and you know, told me early on, uh, which meant the world to me that like you know he was the guy that. You know, I was the guy that resonated with him, you know, as a fan on the other side of the guardrail that inspired him to come to CZW and train to be a professional wrestler uh, in his 30s. And that always meant something to me. And at the end of the day, there's a lot of unsung heroes in the back that, you know, day-to-day operations at CZW, you know, that keep it going because of their hard work, uh, not only just in the ring, but out of it. And Dan O'Hare, you know, does a lot, did a lot of the uh, the lighting and the sound and the audio. And, you know, Dan would be one of the first guys there hanging lights and putting up speakers and just whether it was the skate zone or the Coliseum, just, you know, getting the venues ready for the shows every month. And then, you know, putting in the work of the dojo 
um, you know, putting in the work in the ring. And, you know, he, he's been on the tear this year. And, you know, when it, when it came time for me to, uh, you know, say my goodbyes in the combat zone, you know, uh, there was no other person I, I wanted to work with than, than, than Dan O'Hare uh, and do good business and, you know, you know, just me, you know, doing good business, uh, working with someone that's on the rise and, you know, give them the rub and, you know, you know, go out on your back and, you know, uh, a guy coming up trying to make a name for himself, you know, picking up a victory over me is only going to help him. And it's just, you know, giving back to the business, doing business the right way and giving back to somebody that busts his ass. And that was, that, that was really pretty much it. And uh, I knew, I knew that last match. You know, for the time being, uh, was 100% Dan O'Hare, not not another name. You know, crossed my mind, and I'm I'm I'm, you know, very happy that it was Dan, and you know, it was you know definitely a, a bittersweet moment, and was extremely happy with the match. Dan worked extremely hard, and it was just you know another reason of you know another reason for of his hard work paying off, and you know, hopefully it does something for him at CW. And, you know, and he works hard at H2O as well. You know, he's been, you know, having some great matches. You know, winning the hybrid belt, you know, was his first, you know, big single, you know, championship in his career. So, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've given back to him in more ways than one. And that's just because, you know, overall, he's, you know, a great person. He has good attitude and, and he busts his ass. And those people are going to be rewarded. Absolutely. Another guy who's underrated uh, puts on really, really solid matches. Now I have a question uh, for you. I recently, very in the last couple of days, watched an Onita interview. Mr. Onita claims that you are teaming with him this year at the Cage of Death in CZW. Can you say anything about that? Uh, I would say that I think in the next day or so, uh, CZW will probably put some sort of promotional video or, you know, article up online uh, speaking on that. So I would definitely say, I mean, you never say never in wrestling. I mean, even when I left in July, it was a, you know, it wasn't a permanent goodbye. You know, it was just, you know, time to say goodbye for now. But I would definitely, you know, I always left the door open. You know, at the end of the day, CZW is always my home. And, you know, it's, you know, Cage of Death, you know, may be the perfect time to, to return uh, tagging with Onita would, would be an honor, and I think uh, we, I think the fans would enjoy. So I think with, uh, I think we'll all find out in the next couple of days or so. Hopefully by Thanksgiving or a day or so after, I think everybody will know if uh, if they've seen that video and and, and you've just told me, but they will, they will find out the answer in the next day or so. <laughs> this interview will probably be up in two weeks too, so we'll we'll be good there. It's uh, but. Uh, that would be that would be awesome if it happens. <laughs> um, do you still uh, are you still in touch with Mr. Onita? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I think I think the the biggest thing that you know came out of you know once in a lifetime last year and then me going to Japan a few months later um, was just the, the the relationship and and bond I got to form with a guy like in a, a legend of you know Onita's caliber. Um, you know I've I've said it many times. He didn't have to do half the things he did for me. You know, I was just some just some kid that he had no idea who I was that was calling him out for over a year. 
And he was, yeah, I remember Chainsaw Tony telling me the story of, like, you know, who's this kid from Jersey and why is he calling me out? But why, what's his problem and, and why doesn't he like me? And he, he, Tony would then explain, he's like, no, it's nothing like that. He's, you know, a very big fan of yours, a lot of, you know, a lot, a lot of respect. Uh, but, you know, he was, was calling you out to, you know, make something happen. And, you know, we were able to, you know, make that happen last year and go to Japan. And he just, you know, he's, he's been so good to me. And like I said, he didn't have to do half the things, you know, he did for me, bringing me to Japan, you know, you know, putting me up in a hotel, you know, taking us out to eat every night, you know, took such good care of me and took care of me well. You know, I, I would never have a bad thing to say about the guy. And, you know, you know, and that was my dream, working him and being able to go to Japan. Uh, so, you know, he's always good at my book. And uh, every so often we'll, we'll exchange DMs on Twitter. And that's usually how we uh, – you know, we'll go back and forth with each other, and just just recently spoke to him, and you know I'll just pop in and say hi, and hope all is well. So it's just so surreal to me as you know if I if I was 15 year old Matt, and uh, you know never never in my wildest dreams where I thought I'd uh, you know I, I could call Omita uh, a friend and someone I would chat with. Uh, from here, you know, here and there. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, it's wonderful that you got to do the explosion match in Japan and uh, to face them over here. Do you have any Japanese plans in the horizon to return? Nothing, nothing at the moment, but uh, I was talking with uh, a, a certain promoter last night, and something was actually brought up at the last night of uh, possibly going over there. Again, in, in, in 2019, um, which would be, you know, wonderful. If there's anything to, you know, keep me motivated and, you know, have, you know, give me something to really look forward to with, with 100% be going back to Japan. Uh, I, I told my wife, just, uh, if, if, <laughs> if we weren't together and, 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 and married, I, I probably would have stayed in Japan. You know, that's just how much I enjoyed it over there. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to come home. But uh, no, hopefully, uh, hopefully in 2019, We'd definitely be able to uh, go back over there and, uh, you know, do some good business over there. That would be awesome because uh, I think the state of the Japanese wrestling, obviously they're putting out amazing matches, but even Big Japan and Freedom, they're running out of people because so much of their talent is, is you know, in their mid-40s, and people are going to be retiring mm -hmm. soon. And they really don't have that great feeder system. They have some young guys, but they really think it's the time for them to, you know, get guys like you to come over and do tours and partner with, you know, H2Os and GCWs or CZWs uh, because you could just have so many dream matches and, uh, you know, build a product because, like I said, it, you, don't get me wrong, the Hakashi and Takata, I can watch three, four matches of theirs, but it's nice to see some new people come in, too, you know, to freshen up the pool. Because, uh, you know, Desai, Ido, Namazawa, Takahashi, Takashi, Sazaki, excuse me, Sazaki, and uh, uh, Kobayashi probably are going to be retired in the next three years, you know. Yeah. They put their bodies through war, so it's time to uh, to build that up. That's awesome. Um, what do you think about uh, the David Arquette GCW uh, ordeal, you know, or thing? Uh, what, you know, what's your opinions on that? I, I didn't see too much of it. Obviously, I mean, it, it's it's been the talk of the town the last, I guess, since last weekend. Um, I saw one clip, and I think that's when David Arquette was. Uh, coming out of the ring at some point and, mm -hmm. and holding his neck with his hands. So I, I didn't really see too much on it because uh, so I don't have 
uh, you know, a you know, eye bird's eye view perspective of what happened. But just from you know, reading stuff and and hearing from others, um, you know, obviously, you know, the match was promoted as, you know, uh, you know, one of those matches that obviously there's intrigue right off the bat because it's Nick Gage and David Arquette, and that's a match you'd never think in a million years would happen. Right. And then obviously the, the implements of violence and, and the light tubes. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I, I, th- I, I think David Arquette put out something the other day where, you know, obviously, I mean, he had an idea of what he was getting himself into. Uh, you know, obviously he's right. green as far as doing death matches. Sure. You know, uh, you know the, the normal human being, if they get hit with glass, then they have a cut on their neck. You know, everybody's going to react different uh, because it's, it's something that's not normal. It doesn't happen all the time. Sure. So probably for someone that has never done it, probably reacted probably the way he, he you know, meant it was just a human reaction of, you know, what was happening in that in that point in time. Um, and then, you know, it, it, it was what it was. And then, you know, things get blown out of proportion because everybody's got to chime in and have an opinion on it. Um but I, I think at the end of the day, like, you know, they, they definitely got some buzz and got people talking about it, which is, yep. you know, a good thing in wrestling. And at the end of the day, he's alive. And I don't think there's any ill will between him and Nick and the company. And he knew what he was getting himself into. And, sure. Uh, I mean, I, I would say we'll probably just – we won't see him doing any more death matches anytime soon. Probably not. But I give him credit for getting in, in doing it, you know. Absolutely. 100%. What is it you think that uh, GCW, uh, excuse me, what is it you think GCW gets so much notoriety and attention? Um, you know, do you think other companies could learn from them? I, th- I think a lot of times, man, I mean, because like, I, I even try to think about uh, with that with H2O. I'm like, what, what's, what's the, like, we're doing good business. We're getting the name out there. The product's getting out there. We're putting out a quality product. You know, I'm very happy with, you know, our our, our slow growth and, and the business that we're doing. And then, you, like you said, you look at a GCW and they're just, you know, on fire and taking the world by storm. And a lot of those things, man, is just, you know, right place, right time, you know, a little bit of luck on your side. And obviously, you know, they, they know what they're doing over there. And I, I think it's been a cultivation of a lot of things. Uh, GCW uh, sort of void that, you know, that was needed as far as the, just the crazy atmosphere at, at the live events and the, just the, you know, the old school violence, you know, it, it definitely had an old school CGW vibe, especially when they were in the building in Hal, New Jersey. And then it, I think it's just, it's been a lot of things that, and they just, you know, they, they were able to, you know, throw the fishing line out and they were able to pull some, you know, a lot of, you know, good things out of it when they pulled the line back. Uh, it's a, a cultivation of the, the Joey and the Zandig bump, um, you know, Nikki returning, uh, I think our, our, our three matches, um, the, the, the spring break events, the, the L.A. show, uh, the, you know, WrestleMania weekend. I think it's just been a, a cultivation of a lot of things and things going right. And, and just sometimes you're going to get thrown some good hands and you're going to be able to create some bugs and do some good business and, and, and make a lot of money because at the end of the day, it's the wrestling business and, you know, we're in this to pay our bills. 
you know, most of us, and, you know, it, it seems like, you know, they're, they're doing very well for themselves. So they just, they got the look of the draw on their side, and, you know, they got to keep running with it. <laughs> well, you were a huge part of their early success, too. Uh, your title run and your classic matches for Gage, you know, your match with Marcus Crane. I mean, you were definitely a huge, huge part of their success, too. So you you get a good chunk of that credit, too. Um, you, you help. I appreciate that along the road and, uh, you know, with your title raid. Um, 2018 has been kind of a rocky road, you know, for CZW. It's been a weird, weird road. Um, you know, what's your take on on kind of the 2018? Obviously, the first part of it, you were there, and things were kind of, you know, rocky road and some changes. And then but recently, they've kind of jumped back into the violence. I mean, what's, what's your take on that? I mean, it's it's a, it's a lot of things. I think a lot of it has to do with with management, and I think they they've been on the opposite side of the luck of the draw. They've had a few bad hands dealt to them, you know, over the course of the last year, year and a half, um, that was out of their hands, and and some of those instances in in their hands where they just did bad business um, or didn't want to do business. And I think overall perception is reality. And if you're perceived a certain way and you're not loyal to your fan base and you're not going to you know, give your fan base what it wants, but at the same time you're trying to evolve and do different things, it's, it's a catch-22 and you're going to have pros and cons with a lot of things. And I think with what they were trying to do overall, um, that fan base just, you know, wasn't happy. And... They weren't happy with the quality of the shows, and I guess the, the you know the talent that they were or weren't using or didn't use anymore. And I think a lot of it, a lot of a lot of it attested to as well. Uh, you know, a lot of the you know the drama and stuff with GCW. I think a lot of it goes back to you know the shoot angle that happened uh, at Cage of Death. You know, uh, it, it made CZW look very bad. So I think I just a, a lot of PR stuff. You know, in, in the eyes of the public, you know, CGW a lot of times, and sometimes they put themselves into these bad instances. They look, they look like the bad guys, or and then sometimes they just, you know, do some dumb stuff. And you know, that that's behind the scenes and, and management. You know, hopefully they can, you know, get better on or, or improve that. And because at the same time, like you know, I, I want the company to do well. You know, there's, I have a lot of friends there, you know, you know, working and, you know, guys are just looking for opportunity and trying to make, you know, trying to pay their bills. And, you know, he's, you know, he's always been around in the 20 years. And it was the, the, the company that gave me a platform to make a name for myself. So I'm always indebted to that company. And that's the company I was wanted to be a part of. So I, I wanted, I wanted to do well. I just think, yeah. You know, a, a, a bad luck of the draw. You know, it's probably some bad decisions at times, and hopefully they learn from them. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, they're, they're trying to, you know, go into some sort of a direction that, the, you know, as far as at the end of the day, you can't have combat zone wrestling without violence. And, you know, it's what, you know, a good portion of the company was built on. So I, I feel like we're starting to see a little bit more now. And, you know, hopefully, you know, bringing guys back in like Masada it can only help. And, you know, they're, they're trying to push young talent and give, you know, their students, you know, uh, opportunity. And, 
So uh, it, it, it looks like they're going in the right direction. Uh, you know, Cage Death looks like a solid card. You know, you know they've been building this team page up in MJF for some time, so at least there's some consistency in that angle, and that, that's the big show of the year. So I, I think if they can have a successful Cage Death with no hiccups and, and no drama or anything like that, hopefully going into 2019, you know, CGW can, uh, you know, start pulling some better cards out of the deck and do some good business and, uh, you know, try to, you know, reshape and, you know, that their overall perception, you know, of, of the fans and in the business in general, um, and, and hopefully they can, uh, you know, turn things around next year. Absolutely. I mean, they've been around so long. I've been a friend of, uh, or a fan of CGW for ever and ever. So, uh, you know, just like yourself, obviously you're promoter before that, you're a fan. I remember going back to the old soccer arena in Sewell, uh, Champs Arena to see some of the early shows. Um, way back in the day, so uh, I, I, I've enjoyed your last couple shows. Um, I hope they turn it around. Uh, I actually thought Turning to Death this year was one of the better ones in a couple of years. Uh, the people kind of shied away from it because they built up in their mind before the show is going to be so terrible. But uh, it was one of my favorite tournaments of the year, to be honest. Uh, you know, had a great, you know, one guys kill himself, uh, you, Toby, and uh, uh, Cannonball killing it. Absolutely. Uh, so I thought it was a really, really good show. Um, and exactly, you know, and I agree with you 100% on that. Now, um, obviously, uh, with the Deathmatch Wrestling, uh, you know, there's lots of uh, moving around and talent. Um, you've talked about uh, building up a feud with Cody, and I know Cody, Cody Rhodes is hurt for a little while, but obviously that would be someone we'd like to see in H2O in the future. Um, what other wrestlers would you like to see come in or, or do you, you know, hope to work with in the future that you could talk about? You know, wrestlers or deathmatch wrestlers. I think at, at this point, you know, being in next year, next year I've been in the business. Uh, if I count the first year, I trained 13 years overall, and you know, a good a good chunk of what I've done, of anything meaningful, has been this this past last decade. And man, I, I pretty much I, I worked to anybody that I ever wanted to work, and you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate enough to say that. You know, I was able to work, you know, you know, as many deathmatch and CDW and IWA original deathmatch guys, right. um, you know, ECW guys, uh, Onita, um, you know, so, like, my list is very small. And, like, you know, pretty much, you know, the, the incentive of going back to GCW starting with this weekend uh, was just to be able to work with, a, 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 you know, a handful of guys that I haven't had the chance to work with yet. You know, when I want to pack the at somewhere meaningful. So, you know, when I when I approached DCW about returning, you know, Eric Ryan was number one off the bat, and I'm hoping hoping to be able to work guys that got you know have a you know a crazy death match with Alex Colon there and, and G Raver and you know another one with Marcus. So like, you know, those guys I really look forward to working with. You know, Eric I've never worked with one on one. We had the one. On four match at H2O last year, um, but you know this will be the first time one on one and and a you know a, a big crazy hectic environment. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And then really else besides that, like going back to just being an old school fan at heart, I, I like working the older guys and the and, and the legends. Um, I, you know I, I watch a lot of Memphis wrestling, so like I, I would love to you know work Jerry Lawler. I know he's still taking like you know indie bookings, but like. You know, working with guys like Kevin Sullivan and stuff over the years, 
you know, those, those are, you know, if I had anybody else to, like, add to a list of, you know, that Cody's on, it'd be, like, Jerry Lawler, uh, Tommy Rich, a lot, lot of old-school guys that, you know, I, I would really like to work with. That would be awesome, you and Jerry Lawler. <laughs> that would definitely be cool because uh, he's definitely a legend, like I said, and I'm a big Memphis mark, so uh, you can't go wrong with that 1980s Memphis wrestling, especially the first five years of the 80s. Uh, doesn't, get, doesn't get the credit for so much. Uh, people like to think of it in this kind of as a, a joke wrestling, but really the violence and the gimmicks and the specialty matches, they really started Memphis, most of them. Oh, 100%. I, I think uh, a lot of early FMW is, is credited to uh, a lot of early Memphis. <laughs> well, Onita was in Memphis for two years. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, a lot of Puerto Rico, a lot of Memphis. Yep. And, you know, yeah, you, Onita, you know. Onita spent a lot of time in Memphis, and Pogo and uh, Gordo spent a lot of time in Puerto Rico. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, much, so much good stuff that they all learn from. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I remember Carlos Colon in barbed wire matches and fire matches in the late 80s, uh, even before FMW, uh, you know, in Puerto Rico. And obviously they've been doing barbed wire in Memphis for years, you know, same way with Texas, too. Uh, you know, in Amarillo they were doing barbed wire. Even world class, you know, back in the day was doing barbed wire matches. I remember at the one, uh, David Von Erich uh, Memorial Show, it was uh, Bruiser Brody and Terry Gordy in a barbed wire match. Was uh, definitely uh, been around for a long time. So booking wise, where can we see you? What do you have coming up? Where can we uh, where can we uh, go visit and see uh, Matt Prima? Uh, I think uh, for the remainder of the year. I mean, this this weekend I got a double shot. So not only am I uh, working Eric Ryan in a, in a you know in a crazy death match, uh, I'm going to go to Synergy Wrestling first, about an hour away from GCW. And I'll be defending my synergy title against Anthony Green, and then we, I will shoot straight to GCW and Asbury and do a, and do a death match. So I got a busy Saturday ahead of myself, and then the following Friday, um, one of our last two uh, H2O events of the year, H2O Bloody Burgers. So I, I will go one on one with next Friday, November 30th, with uh, Ring of Honor's Cheeseburger, on top of a. You know, great card. I think it's one of our sleeper cards of the year as far as Bloody Burgers goes. Um, and then um, December. December, I, I got a light December. It's pretty much just a Christmas show on the, on the 22nd. And, you know, maybe something else, like I said, that, like we talked about earlier, that, that could be announced in a few days. And <laughs> maybe we'll see you on a Sunday in Philly somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, I, I think I have something else. I, I think... I think I have another GCW in December. I think they're, they're towards the end of the month. So, yeah, just, just a couple of handful of things. Um, I got a couple of rentals that I'm placed. But, you know, I, I keep busy. You know, 24-7 is wrestling. You know, it's how, how I, I pay the bills between wrestling. You know, coming back into it now full-time and taking bookings, you know, full-time again. Because, you know, I took a part-time schedule this year just to slow down a little bit and heal the body and just so I could, you know, put time into all the other ventures I have going on as far as my store and H2O. I, I pretty much live at the building. You know, our, our school, uh, you know, we have 15 students so far at, at the Royal Academy, and the school's open three nights a week. Uh, then our rentals, and then H2O shows. Um, and then I just, you know, go there to do, you know, paperwork in the office from time to time. So I, I pretty much live at the Hogan Memorial Hall. 
We're just here at uh, Stores Hours coming up into Christmas. If someone wanted to visit there, when uh, and, and where is the location of it? Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, bulldozers usually, uh, you know, most of from January up until last Friday, uh, we are open every Thursday through Sunday. We're open four days a week, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and 9 to 6 on Sundays. And starting December 3rd, we are open every day up until Christmas Eve. And those hours are, uh, you know, a little sporadic. I'm not open as much as I'd like to. You know, I'm just, uh, a lot of my time is occupied with the building now. Sure. Um, But, uh, yeah, we'll be open, hopefully open every day through Christmas. And, uh, you know, the, the store is entirely all pro wrestling, figures, masks, DVDs, uh, WWE stuff, indie stuff, all, 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 all the H2O merchandise. Uh, pretty much, uh, you walk in, it's uh, anything you can imagine as far as uh, you know, pro wrestling collectibles and, and, and memorabilia. So hopefully, uh, I, I wait for this month and uh, this time of the year. It's usually we do our best business going into Christmas. So if you're uh, you're looking for you're looking for wrestling stuff for, for the kids and stocking stuffers. Come on, come on down to Bulldozers. <laughs> That's awesome. It's so nice to have an actual physical store or two for a, a wrestling store. I tell you a story years ago, just a quick story. I uh, I live upstate New York, so we we ended up doing like a six hour drive to Philly because I always I used to get the RF video uh, newsletter. You probably got that too back in the day where these shows were coming out and whatnot. Yeah, I'm a little older, but but uh, so uh, so I get it, and they're talking about the RF Video Superstore. So I'm like, I gotta go there. So we just drove down six hours. So we're in this mall in Philly. I don't remember the name because uh, it was a while ago. And we're looking all over for the store, and I'm like, I can't find it. I can't find it. Walk all over, walk all over. So I'm walking out, and I'm asking people, and I turn around, and there's this little hot dog stand, and that was the RF Video Superstore. Yeah, it was like on wheels. It was like a hot dog stand. I mean, they had some, yeah, yeah. I was like, holy shit, I drove six hours for a hot dog stand. Because they always talk <laughs> about it being the superstore. I'm figuring, you know, at least a store. And uh, I walked by it twice and didn't realize it. Because uh, they didn't know it was a hot dog stand on wheels. But uh, that's too funny. I, uh, one, I do have one question. Uh, you were scheduled for the IWA Mid-South King of Kings, and obviously that got postponed. Um, will we see you in 2019 compete in some deathmatch tournaments? 100%. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, t- taking the time off this year helped me out a lot. And, uh, and I, I, I feel the best now that I've felt probably in, in five years. So I, I feel like, you know, just health-wise and shape-wise, I, I feel like 2012 might dream on again. And a big part of that was, you know, taking off from the tournaments because, you know, consistently for the last, you know, six, seven years, I was in the mall and I went deep in tournaments in all of them. So I was doing two and three matches for every deathmatch tournament around the country. So it, it, it definitely took its toll. But now 100%, um, you know, whatever tournaments that are, you know, interested in having me next year, I, I will I will be back and, and doing them all next year in 2019. Awesome. That's cool. I'm glad that you're doing so much better in your health, too. Obviously, you killed yourself for a long time for professional wrestling, so it's nice to see that you're doing better. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, as much as we enjoy seeing you in your matches, we we like to know that your your, your health is good, too. 
Um, oh, I appreciate it, baby. Well, we appreciate what you did. Like I said, you, you're you the winningest tournament guy. And like you said, besides winning so many tournaments, you made the finals of so many tournaments. I mean, if we talk like finals of tournaments and winning, that's like 17 tournaments. That's super impressive. You won a bunch and you made the finals and even more. So that's super, super impressive. Uh, H2O, uh, we have two shows coming up yet this year. You, if you want to talk about them real quick before we. Yeah, we got uh, we got two more live events to close out 2018. Uh, next Friday, November 30th, H2O presents Bloody Burgers. Uh, tickets uh, front row is, I, I believe, is now sold out. So there'll be 20-hour GA tickets available at the door. Uh, my headline by myself and Cheeseburger. Uh, big six-man tag, over the Jeopardy match, Mathis, Maverick, and Mikhail uh, versus Alex Cologne and the notorious thing. Uh, Dan O'Hare puts the hybrid title on the line in a four-way against Octave, Connor Claxton, and Tara Callaway. Uh, the main event will be Anything Goes at D. Raver and Dewey after what took place back at, at Written in Blood in right. September. Um, what else we got on the card? Um, but, but, but. Uh, we got oh, we got an opportunity knock match with two debuting guys that I saw work a small show in Delaware, Tim Taylor versus Miles Millennium. And as soon as I saw these two kids work, I'm like, I wanted to give them an opportunity. So I'm going to, you know, give them all the time in the world to go out there and kill it and, and make a name for themselves in, in front of our crowd. And um, I can't remember the rest of the card, but I, I think it's, it's, it's one of our, I think it's our sleeper card of the year. I know we We've had a lot of shows in the second half of 2018, uh, but I think that this show is, is really solid. And, you know, this show, all the stuff from this show is all building up, you know, to our big Merry and Christmas show uh, three days before Christmas on December 22nd. Uh, the main event of that show will be the first cage match in H2O history, and we will find out who will be in the cage uh, after Bloody Burgers. Uh, we will also have the second annual Christmas Chaos Rumble. We'll have uh, at least 20 participants in it this year, and uh, the winner of the Christmas Chaos Rumble will earn a spot in Hardcore Kingdom 3 next year. Uh, the tag team titles will be on the line, and there'll be a few other matches in the Christmas show. Yes, uh, please come check out H2O Live November 30th. And December 22nd, and then, uh, you know, I'm already starting to, you know, lock dates and, and book some things out for next year. I think we've got an, an exciting 2019 ahead of us, and uh, if, if you can't come see us live, all our DVDs and digital downloads are available on smartmarkvideo.com. So definitely uh, check out the H2O and WH2O. You know, we, we had a successful women's event uh, this past weekend. And we have the show ended in a bunch of chaos with, uh, you know, two of our original girls from HCO and Tara uh, Calway and Maria Manick. So probably early 2019 will be the next girls' show, and the main event will be Tara versus Maria uh, to crown the first WH2O champion. And it will be a no-low ball bar match uh, with myself as special guest referee. So we got a big women's show to look forward to early next year. Uh, Hardcore Kingdom will pop. I'm probably going to move Hardcore Kingdom up a month or so so we can do it in the spring and it's a little warmer out. So I, I would I would anticipate Hardcore Kingdom 3 being either March or April. And, yeah, we've got a, just a lot of good things to look forward to. And 
come check us out live or pick up the DVDs on Smart Mark. And, you know, as, as always, as I said earlier, you know, H2O thrives, thrives and survives, you know, because of you guys and your support, whether it's coming to the shows, buying a DVD, you know, sharing videos or, or match graphics online, you know, every, every little bit helps to get the name out there and to, to help us continue to grow. Uh, you know, all the, you know, the Death Match Cold and, you know, all, all the groups and just all the great fans that are, you know, you know, supporting the company and, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll continue to get new eyes on us in 2019. But, yeah, as always, man, not just H2O and myself, you know, I, I am unable to do all the things that I'm fortunate enough to be able to do because of your guys' support. I can't thank you guys enough. Open up a water, give the almighty gift.